I think we're probably live right now. I just hit it. So um want to say uh, welcome, everybody, to After Hours. I believe this is episode 39 of After Hours, which does make me kind of think that, you know, it was the 100th episode of a Sports Cards Live branded show. But this is this is Sports Cards Live After Hours. So we're coming up to about 100 episode 150 if I were to take them all overall. But you know, it was still uh, the numbered episodes are the the numbered sports cards lives are really the interview shows, and I certainly enjoy them. But hey, everybody, look who we got with us now. We got Chris McGill from uh, House of Jordans, and now Card. Yeah, you got it. I, I'm pointing away from you, but I know it by now. I know it by now. So, guys, let's welcome Chris to After Hours. We are we have a, a bit of an agenda tonight, guys. Really, we're going to talk about the show that just was the show that just was. And to, from my, I want to share with everybody my perspective of that show, because it might not be, uh, I don't know if it was the same as everybody else's, but a uh, couple of things. First, hello, Chris, and good evening. Hello. Congratulations on 100 numbered episodes. Thank you. Yeah. You can probably tell I'm a little wired right now. That, that <laughs> show with Nat was, the most challenging episode I've ever had to do, not had to, the most challenging one I've ever done. That was a great guest. He answered everything. Um, it wasn't challenging from, from as far as Nat went. It was challenging as far as the chat went. There were so many great comments and questions coming through. And then there was a, there were the sporadic littering of ones that weren't so good and they were they were forcing me to lose track of the good ones and I just want to apologize to a lot of the audience and a lot of the people that posted those great questions if I didn't get to them I just couldn't keep up and I think I say it maybe twice during the show so I just want to apologize to everybody for that because I know that you guys were on fire tonight in there and uh, and I also want to thank everybody for all the congratulations at the beginning of the show I couldn't even address those like I usually do. And you know, it's my intention and my desire to do that and include everybody in the show. So just a bit of an apology for that. But I want to know, you know, Chris, you haven't, you didn't see the new intro and I don't know. No, I didn't. You didn't. So we'll play it again, but I want to know what you guys thought of it. I hope you liked it. I mean, I think the song's pretty cool. Should we give it a play? Let's, yeah, I need to see it. All right, no let's give delay. it a play, guys. If, if you missed it at the beginning of the show with Nat just earlier, this is the new sports card live intro video that we'll play at the beginning of every episode moving forward uh once we do it i'll tell you who wrote it and, and all that but here we go get ready sports cards is a lifestyle sports cards and we live now jeremy lee in the building and every guess that you ever needed sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated updates hobby top like you've never seen it sports cards live and i could ever beat it sports cards is a lifestyle Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. <laughs> That's great, man. Sports card, you know what I like? What I like the what what uh, what Sean did. So Sean is the is the man behind the Victory Investments account on Instagram, which if you're not following him yet, you guys should all be following him. Right there. I'm going to put it up there. Uh, his IG is Victory Investments. He's got a YouTube channel, also Victory Investments. And um, he's writing some some really cool tracks that are all rap, hobby rap kind of kind of songs. And Yeah, uh, yeah he is. Yeah. Met him at the Dallas show. Really nice guy. Really nice guy. I'm a big fan of his. So he uh, he wrote the song. He did that video. And um, for, for the 100th episode to kick it off. So I don't know. I, 
I think it's I think it's kind of funny. It's it incorporates some of the old thumbnails from the shows, and uh, my head is pops up in there a couple of times. I just think it's funny, and uh, I like the song. Song's good. The editing was good too. I I think the visual presentation was was quite good as well. Well, I like how when when Doctor Beckett flashes, he puts a goat on top of it too. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. I did catch that. That's he he knows his stuff, man. That was great. That was really good. He does. He does. Also, shout out to uh, Ben Carlos, who uh, had an, mm. an earlier episode, kind of an appetizer for tonight. I, we were kind of saying that he was kind of opening for Sports Cards Live tonight. And uh, so I want to thank Ben for filming an hour of content before we went live with Nat earlier tonight. And I think he's planning to continue doing that uh, as we move forward on, um, you know, week after week here. So let's say hello to the chat, Chris, as I didn't get a chance to earlier. And then we'll get into uh, we'll debrief that episode that just happened. Sure. MMA. Hi, Chris. Really respect what you're doing for the hobby. Can you please explain to the audience what your working day is like? Keep that one in mind. I think uh, I'll tell you guys one thing about Chris that I know. And, you know, we've never met in person, but we've sure spent a lot of time uh, communicating. One thing I can tell you is that he's up all night. If you send him, if you send him a message, uh, you, you, you try to phone him, you send him a text message at, say, I don't know, 10 a.m., he doesn't get back to you till like four or five, so I think fig- I figure that he's a total night owl. That's that's what I think. I don't I don't know I don't know if he's ever seen uh, the hour of eleven a.m. in his life. <laughs> not not recently, that's for sure. <laughs> MMA. What type of server database are you guys using? Oh, we're getting right into some uh, card ladder questions. <laughs> I think I think that question is above my pay grade. Anyway, I don't even know what that means. Tiger Jordan, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Appreciate you addressing my questions as well. Hey, my, my pleasure, Tiger. You're, you're a great, uh, loyal viewer. So thank you so much. We got Jake in the house. 20K. Yeah, you'll be asleep in 15, 20 minutes. Great to have you, Jake. Thank you for uh, for coming by. Aaron Rasmus, impatiently waiting, running out of gas. Yeah, it's, a, we're, it's, it's late. It's late for a lot of people. Aaron Rasmus again. Here we go. Good evening, Aaron. We got ProWare official fan. Good evening. Haven't seen you in here before. Welcome to the show. My guy, Joe Perot from Santa Cruz. Good evening, Joe. And Joe, I forgot to, to do that, what I told you I was going to do earlier. So my apologies. PSA Slab Guy, can I ask Chris how he and Josh view card letters competition with, I didn't read this until now, with market movers? Is it friendly? I can answer that, though, whenever we want. Uh, take a stab at it. I think they're great complimentary services. And uh, if there's a lot of people out there who I think could get use out of both, maybe somebody gets more use out of one maybe somebody gets more use out of the other but uh much like there's psa and bgs for grading there's options for data platforms as well there you go thank you for that thank you psa slab guy misky pascarello good evening kyle brown yeah chris is live david g good evening. <laughs> nice i see you kyle <laughs> missed the show thank you uh, david g we got matthew jones missing 300 people from earlier well not quite 300 anymore not quite 300 good anymore games. Tracy Shamer in the house. Good evening, Tracy. Aaron Rasmus. You can always, yeah, if you guys missed the last episode with Nat, it will be, uh, if it's not up on the YouTube channel right now, it will be there by tomorrow. These things come sometimes do take up to 12 hours to render. So be patient. It will show up and live there forever. MMA, really enjoyed you on the last show. Thank you. And thank you for the congratulations. You don't mess around. Quality guests, an exceptional way to roll out the red carpet. Thank you so much, MMA. Mike Wick, I could have watched all night. Yeah, thank thanks for that, Mike. Saying I did great because again, I was 
I felt flustered during that last episode. I felt scattered. And um, I wasn't, I'll be honest, I wasn't that pleased with my with my performance. So I'm glad. Well, which that. performance, Jeremy? Because you're the moderator, you're the host, you're the producer. I mean, you wear a million hats. Uh, I think, you, personally, I think you did all of them pretty well, but that's just me. Well, I, I appreciate that from both of you guys. I really do. Uh, makes, set, settles me down a little bit, actually. So thank you so much. Waxel, appreciate that. Yeah, we should be celebrating. Thank you, MMA. Collection SML, you did a great job. Nice episode. Thank you. Uh, Ziggy, good evening. 90s b-ball cards, more challenging than Tim from ComC, Patrick. Be so that's a great comment, Jake. Uh, it was more challenging than Tim from ComC because with Tim from ComC, I suspended, I did not even look at the comments for the first 90 minutes. I didn't take that approach this time. Had I known just how crazy the chat would have been, and I should have anticipated it, I would have done the same thing and held the questions till the end. So my yeah, mistake, yeah. The the sports card investor episode was absolutely out of control. So yeah, but that one I couldn't even. I just talked to to the guests and I didn't even look at the comments either. Tyler says that's definitely MC Brian Gray on the intro track. That was uh, MC Sean Cates from Victory Investments. Thank you, Aaron. Much appreciated. Whoa, lots of comments. Damn, we're busy again tonight here, Chris. You're quite the draw, buddy. You're quite the draw. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know how to follow up Nats, but uh, we're trying here. Well, you'll do just fine, man. I know you will. MMA, thank you so much. You 90% of the episodes. That's really cool. Uh, PSA says the chat with Nat was tame compared to Com C. Yeah, I, but again, I ignored the chat during Com C, and I but I let everybody know I was going to be doing that. Yes, it was intense. Uh, awesome, Tiger Drone. I'm glad you like it. Thank you so much. Hockey uh, guy says the Comsi one, people didn't want answers. They just wanted to, to hurl vitriol. Yes, for sure. Ben Carlos, my man. Guys, again, subscribe to the Ben Carlos ben. channel. This guy, this guy does great, puts out great content on a regular basis. Just a great yes, dude. Latrell, Chris. Hi, Chris. Great episode. Thank you very much. Big unit says Carvin is the man. He asked the owner of PSA to see something and not literally jumped out of his chair to get it. Mad respect. I love it. It's good observation. I don't know who that is, but uh, we both sleep a little bit, I think. <laughs> yes, Chris even got into that intro. So, yeah, there was uh, the intro was, uh, you know, Sean took the lead on building the intro and I kind of tweaked a little bit. But uh, obviously, you know, this is episode 100. I think 20, 20 of the thumbnails made it in there and if I could have included everybody, I would have, you know, and I, I, I just hope it doesn't. I don't think it should get political at all or anything like that. I just uh, it is what it is. And uh, I, I'm grateful for every single get. It's funny. You know, Chris, I always say after every show, I loved it. Like every single episode I've done, every guest, every single guest has been awesome right through from last April till till June 2021. So I, I'm grateful for everybody. Paul, that is true. It was. Appreciate that, Global, very much. Matthew Jones, great show earlier. I could have watched that for hours. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining. I like this one from PSA Slab. I thought Nat represented PSA very well. Tim from Come See. Well, Tim's got a lot of pressure on him as well. We got Card Porn back to see the two Chrome Dome Kings. That's right. Welcome <laughs> back, Card Porn. Thank you, Jeffrey Hart. Much appreciated. Steve Elmore, what's up with you? All right, man. We got we got too many comments for me to run through them all. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it right there for now. You watched the episode. You might have missed the first five or so minutes. 
You got a couple of notes, which is one of the things, guys, I love to do on After Hours is provide some continuity between the first episode of Sports Cards Live and the second episode of After Hours and actually debrief that first episode with a fresh perspective. And I did invite Chris on here thinking he'd be the perfect complement to the Nat Turner show. So, Chris, welcome again. And uh, kick us off. What, what, you know, because one thing I do want to add before I pass the mic to you is that I didn't hear everything Nat said. I just, I couldn't. I couldn't absorb it all. So it's great that Chris was out there taking some notes and really picked out a few of the nuggets. So what was the first thing that stuck out to you, Chris? Well, I think you have to partition that interview into the collector half and the PSA half, right? And so maybe we'll talk a little bit of PSA first. Nat said to one of your excellent questions that the amount of cards graded per day is in the low tens of thousands. And that's a nebulous answer with huge implications, okay? If it's 10,000 cards a day, then PSA can grade 3.6 million per year. And that means it's going to take a few years at the current rate to knock off its 9 or 10 million card backlog. But if low tens of thousands means 30,000 cards a day, then they can do 11 million in a year. And then they should be all caught up in a much timelier fashion. So, yeah. Let me just jump in because I did I did have a chat with Nat a few days ago, and the number he used a few days ago was exactly that thirty thousand. Thirty, okay, yeah. well thirty, because he was he was a little little more nebulous in his answer on the show. Thirty is great. Uh, if it's thirty, there's reason to be optimistic that they're going to be caught up quickly. If it's ten, um, they got a lot more graders to hire, I think, to catch up with the demand for their company. So. Thought that was an interesting tidbit. Um, another interesting tidbit that uh, Nat called esoteric, which was interesting that this was the thing that came to mind for him when you asked him what's one thing that you would like hobbyists to know about PSA that they might not, and it had to deal with crossovers. And he said the reason why a lot of cards don't cross isn't necessarily because they're not gems. Um, in other words, a BGS 9.5 might not get crossed just because the grader cannot accurately see the card through the thick bgs case that was interesting um and and a very admirable point of view from a person with a strong vested interest in psa to say you know there, there's a perception out there that a psa 10 is is a is a tougher grade than a bgs 95 and the opposite perception exists too but nat was saying you can't read into the crossover rates because sometimes cards just don't cross because the grader doesn't feel confident that they can accurately see the card through the case and the sleeve. I thought that was a really interesting answer. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was a fair answer. I mean, I, 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 what the first thing I think about it is that he's not bullshitting us. He's telling it like it is. I, 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 I believe what Nat says. He, he comes across as very genuine and authentic. So I believe to the extent he has the information, he shared uh, he shared with us the same information that's in his head, um, you know, to the extent he could. On this question in particular, I, I think it's a fair answer. And it, it actually answers a lot of questions or concerns or disappointments that people have had when you get that card back and it doesn't cross over. Instead of you thinking that my card didn't gem or it's not a worthy of a PSA 10, the fact of the matter, it's still very well maybe. And to me, that encourages the break and submit instead of the crossover service. 
Yeah, that's that's true. That is the corollary there. I see in the chat, uh, Lowell has said, crack your crosses, fellas. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right takeaway there. I Here's the takeaway that I like. That's a, that's a different corollary. Um, and I'm going to make it into a slightly bigger topic. What's the purpose of a grading company? To me, the, a grading company serves two primary functions. Number one, assigning a technical condition to a card that's reliable incredible and then number two encapsulating and protecting the card for the long haul now this question deals with function number one of a grading company which is assessing a technical grade and basically what nat's answer implies is that um gem mint condition uh in numerous grading companies he mentioned sgc and bgs in particular it may very well be on par with PSA's gem mint. Um, you can't read too much into crossover rates because there's a totally alternative viable explanation for why they don't cross. And I love that. I love that he's thinking in those terms. Um, it's it, it's incredible to hear a person of that much stature and prominence come in and get granular and talk about it on that level. And it also speaks to uh, the integrity of our industry. We do have grading companies that have great graders and, uh, you know, they apply rigorous standards. And that's, you know, sometimes we get caught up in, in grading companies and we think slabs are like Fendi or Gucci bags. And it's just all about the brand name. But really, the functions of grading are the two that I mentioned, assigning a technical grade and protection and encapsulation. And then brand is this separate topic um, that, that may or may not be related to quality. But Nat is a guy who's focused on quality. He said that numerous times in the interview that PSA is never going to reduce its standards, uh, no matter what the size of the backlog is, that they're never going to ask their graders to 2x their output was a quote that he had for you. And he also said that graders go through, especially rookie graders, go, go through a, an, an arduous process where the most senior grader spends a little bit of time with each of them. At least they have to crawl, walk, run. I think he didn't use that metaphor in that context, but he did use it in another one, but I think it applies here. So he, he was very firm on standard. And I love that. I grading company is all about standard and about quality of the service provided. And uh, I just, it's, it, it was great. It was great to, to, to get that perspective from him. And you could just tell it was genuine and it was authentic off the cuff yeah. from, uh, from good old Nat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with everything you just said. The one thing that I want to add though, is I think there's a, there's a third function of the grading company and we call it a grading company, but it's authentication. I sure. agree. I agree with slabbing and protecting, assigning a technical grade on the condition of the card. But to me, the authentication of the card is, is number one. If it's not authentic, sure. don't bother grading it. Right. So let's, let's just, let's make sure we add that to the, uh, the, the key functions of these grading companies. But yeah, great take, Chris. Great take. Uh, before we go to the next note you have, we'll do a couple more comments here. I think that's the way we'll do this. We'll go back and forth. Uh, I want to welcome the Dream to his first after hours. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Dream GS GSG. Lowell says, I'm adding cards to Card Ladder as I watch. Very nice. I love it. Uh, JSOT says, uh, hi, guys. Clubhouse has been quiet lately. It was just funny because it, it has been. It used to be every night. There were card rooms and there was active discussion. Now it's like once or twice a week. Same uh, yeah. same experience for you? Huge problem. Um, the clubhouse energy has dropped off. And uh, I'm partially to blame for that. I, I take my uh, 
I'll, I'll take my responsibility in that. Um, went to the Dallas show and then have been really busy ever since. You know, sometimes you like you do a bunch of stuff in a short period and then you're having to make up for it for the next few weeks. Um, so, but yeah, the clubhouse energy has been a little low. Um, there are rooms going on, but, uh, you know, I'm all, here's what happens, Jeremy. Uh, here's my, is my second confession. I will go on clubhouse looking for a room. There won't be a room and I'll leave, but you know what I could have done? I could have started a damn room and there's probably 50 other people out there who are just waiting for somebody else to start a room, yeah. but I don't do it, you know? And so maybe that's just the solution here is we just need a few room starters to just poke their heads up, start a room and give it a few minutes um, to, uh, to get it going. And it, it can be hard too. sometimes. I know some, sometimes people start rooms and people don't flock to them, but, but um, there's a, there's a way to do it effectively. So like there's, there's different clubs on clubhouse that have lots of members that will get notified when you start a room. So make sure you join one of those clubs. And I think the biggest sports card club on Clubhouse is an open club. So anybody can join it and anybody can start rooms in it. So go join the big sports card club. Some of them have thousands and thousands of people start rooms. That's how we solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. But you know, you, you can't take all the blame for yourself. I know you're not, but there are a lot of the people that used to start those rooms haven't been starting them as much. I think because mm -hmm. the same thing you go on, there's nothing going on. So uh, it'll, it'll, it'll uh, ebb and flow. I think I want to, uh, uh, the dream says, if you don't have card ladder, you're missing out big. Mastrodamus says, do you think anticipation of new changes to PSA slabs has brought down prices to junk slab era? And are there any changes coming to the slabs? Phone died. Phone died during the last episode, I guess. <laughs> Anticipate, do you think anticipation of new changes has brought prices down? I, I, I don't see that myself. Chris, you're nodding as if you might, you might see that. I don't see that myself, but do you? I think there's a very weird energy going on right now. The with the grade and flip game has been cut off at the head. And so the, a lot of money that used to pump into the hobby economy on a cyclical basis, it has been cut off uh, for an extended period of time. So I don't think it's, it, I, I think the direction, the connection is indirect, but it definitely exists. So let me paint a picture. So let's say I'm a card flipper and I accumulate 100 base cards of Anthony Edwards from prison basketball uh, by going on eBay and being very selective and plucking them 30 bucks, 35 bucks. And I acquire hundred of them. And then if I'm a flipper, normally my next step is to send them to PSA and then get them back in a few months. That's how it used to be. Now it would be a year, but just bear with me. I would get them back. Um, some would be nines. Most would be tens. I go to eBay. I sell them all. I make several thousand dollars in profits and then uh, I have now this bankroll and then I split up the bankroll and I, I take 1500 of it and I buy a PC card and I take the rest and I now I'm buying raw LaMelo ball prism rookies or, or I've moved on to the new football. I'm getting Trevor Lawrence because enough time has passed that prison football is out and I'm picking up Trevor Lawrence raws and then I'm going to acquire a pile of them, send them to PSA, get them graded, get them back, sell them, flip them, sell them, flip them. And that whole like faucet of money pumping into the hobby economy by the grade and flip guys has been completely cut off. So there's, there's a, a shrinkage of, of the money supply that used to be there. Um, and it will return when PSA opens its doors again, and it will return in full force when PSA restores its value service level, which by the way, Nat did mention that they have all intent to do that. And that 
He values greatly the ability to grade low-end and base cards because it's important for set completion. But yeah, I think that's how I could I can see what the commenter is, is, is thinking about here um, because that, that particular sector of our hobby economy is being starved right now of funds. Okay, I'm going to go to the next comment here. And of course, we're like 20 minutes behind, but I really like this one. And to trigger finger, if you asked this in the last episode... This is one of those comments that I saw. I really liked it. And then I couldn't find it again. So I'm glad you're here again, uh, if that was you on the prior episode. And I think Chris is probably a better person to speak to this about versus uh, Nat, who Nat is probably not all that concerned about the populations of, of BGS, SGC, and, other, and, and the competitors. Chris, I think this is something that would really benefit the hobby, especially when you go to you know PSA's pop, pop report. Very slick. Very easy to quickly find what you're looking for. BGS's, it's or Beckett's pop report. It's it's the complete opposite. It's it's very clunky. It's, it's sometimes I just can't find the card, even though I have the label right in front of me. What do you think? What do you think the chances are we see something like this? Do you know, are you guys working on it? Do you know anyone that is? So as a prefatory note, the numbers in pop counts are extremely valuable public information. And I think our hobby... Um, and uh, from from top to bottom needs to um, play its part in contributing to the um, the dissemination of that information in an orderly and transparent fashion. Uh, there are people in this hobby who are new who might not fully understand how or where to access pop reports when people are buying and selling cards on auction houses and on eBay and on other platforms. Most of the time, sellers do not disclose population reports, so buyers might not even be cognizant, especially newcomers. They might not understand how pop reports work, but pop reports are numbers that can be used to calculate market caps, and they speak to the floats and the supply of a card. And so for that purpose, um, pop report information is extremely important public information. And the more transparency that exists around it, the better off the industry is. And to the extent that cooperation can be facilitated with respect to making that data as available and as present as possible, that's a good thing for our industry. And and in the interest of the long-term health of the industry, allowing people to access pop reports in the simplest and most direct fashion is ethical and good. Uh, to the to the question itself, um, there would be enormous difficulties, but it wouldn't be impossible for a new person to just start a website that aggregates that information. But the difficulties come in the database structuring. So somebody has to have this Rolodex of every card, and then they're going to need to queue um, because PSA and BGS, they don't necessarily use the same naming conventions. I can, I can certainly attest to that. So it's, it's certain instances, um, PSA might call a card something different than BGS. So it's going to take a human mind in manual effort to construct that database from scratch, and that's that's no small task. As somebody who's constructed a database of eleven thousand two hundred cards over the last year, um, constructing a database is, is is a tall order. Maybe somebody like Trading Card Database is a little, or like Cardboard Connection is a little bit better positioned to do it. But the task, from a technological and a database building point of view, is very difficult. With that said. Um, I see an opportunity for a shameless plug. Uh, Card Ladder does 
track population reports for BGS and PSA slabs. We do have SGC slabs, um, but their population report is a little bit difficult to navigate at this time. But uh, so if you ever did want to look up the pop report of any card in our database, um, you can do that and it is up to date. But uh, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult uh, problem. And I see the chat is uh, asking for a two minute rule on my answers. So I will, uh, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. Okay. All right. Uh, Victor, yeah, you're welcome. But I knew you would be listening intently on that one very much. Foul Fieball, I want to thank you for uh, for that. Uh, glad to have you as as always. As always, thank you, Dream. Much appreciated. Nineties, uh, Jake says, uh, right, Jay, you wear all the hats and do it. Thank you very much, Jake. Much appreciated, Steve Foley. I make it look easy. I did not have an easy time on that last episode, but thank you very much, Steve. Okay, you guys are making me feel better. Thank you so much. I was like I said, I, I was scattered, but appreciate it. Jeff McMahon, thank okay, guys. Appreciate all the compliments. There we go, Colin. Best of the hundred. Thanks, Colin. Glad uh, glad to get your your uh, endorsement on that one for sure. Sammy says he's a draw because he's honest. That's great. Much very much agree that. There's Sam from Women of the Hobby. Enjoyed the show with Matt. Excited to be on After Hours next week. Yeah, let me remind you guys. Next week is Ladies' Night on Sports Cards Live. Christina, who's probably just on the other side of Chris, will be uh, on the first show. And um, after that will be Sam from Women of the Hobby. Card Porn jumps in, says, great chat with Nat Jeremy. We've put a summary of all the take-home points on our Insta. Talk I pulled that up, too, by the way, in case we want to fall back on that. I've got it pulled up. Okay, cool. Uh, you've got it pulled up already. That was that was quick, Card Porn. Good work. Good work, guys. Good work. <laughs> Thank you, Currency Project. Bless and breaks. Uh, Jeremy's a Dana White. Whoa, that's heavy praise right there. Gives a stacked UFC 100. Jeremy brought out the big boys. Yeah, thank you. And Jeremy's bald like Dana, too. That I am. That I am. <laughs> Tiger Jordan was very surprised to hear Nat made mention of wanting to have an inner sleeve in the PSA slab. Sounds like he... I don't wouldn't go to Spark Tiger to say it sounds like he prefers the BGS slab, but the inner sleeve would be a nice uh, add-on, I think, is what he definitely said. Uh, Waxel, PSA will never be cut up. They just want manageable, which is fair. I think you always want, uh, you always want a little bit extra, uh, flow when you're, when you're a business and a business that's for profit, which I think we have to understand every single company in the hobby is for profit. Uh, Kang Sans is one thing that stood out with Nat, uh, was Nat collecting the card and not always the great. Yeah, that sticks, that stuck out for me the first time I saw him, which was on, josh's cardboard chronicles over two years ago now which i really really impacted my my approach to the hobby not my not didn't completely change it but it really uh enhanced it for me on the scale of only collecting tents collecting cards you like without regard to value where do you all land yeah i mean all over the board really all over the board i think just depends on the card let's keep on going though psa slab guy according to pop report Two pop report by increases. They have been averaging about 130 to 140,000 cards a week. That's how do you track that? How do you? Oh, does it? It just tells you what the total graded is. There you go. Thank you. Crack your crosses. There it is. We're finally there. <laughs> MMA. That was a great segment about the BGS crossover. No BS. Number one is authentication. I agree with that, uh, Troy Peterson, for sure. 
And uh, Breakout says, uh, that's Ryan, says, always thought it was PSA trying to act like more difficult graders. Yeah, he made it clear that that is not the case at all, which which is, you know, it speaks to one of the topics I wanted to get into if we have time, just the overall narrative in the hobby. And a lot of people in the hobby, they 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 get their, they get the narrative from people that are just working with incomplete information, inaccurate and or incomplete information. You really none of us really know knows exactly what's going on so you have to really uh, vet the information you're getting and um and don't don't believe everything you hear on instagram and youtube yeah i'll, I'll tell you that right now there's there's a lot of uh, inaccurate information that's going around pretty heavy these days and nobody really knows and it's easy to jump to conclusions and a lot of people do that and uh you might just want to slow down sometimes I, it would be a bit of advice i would give people Troy, number two is numerical. Agreed. Agreed. You're you're on. We're of the same mind there, Troy. I like this, uh, Jake. Grading companies are treated like Fendi and Gucci bags. Great comparison. Logan says, "I like that." Nat says, "Collect what you love and not worry about price." I've been saying that very thing for years. Nat's a true collector, which is why I firmly believe he's the best guy to be at the helm of what I think is the most important company in the in the industry. So. Uh, when I found out, I think I said it in the episode, when I found out that it was Nat that was leading that group, and now that we know that he's executive chairman, which isn't just a guy that sit that comes to a, a quarterly board of directors meetings, he's an executive, he's full-time, that gives me huge confidence in the future of our hobby. Like, we're in good shape, guys. We're in good shape with him. But now, <laughs> jump in. You got a few things to say. Yeah. Uh, first of all, man, it's in. It, it might sound a little crazy because as you pointed out, companies in the hobby exist for the purpose of profits and um, Nats uh, and the investors involved in the acquisition are uh, operators, business people, which is completely fine. Uh, but Nat is a collector first and foremost, and he is one of the most prestigious collectors that this hobby has ever seen. He has been generous enough over the years to make his collection publicly viewable through his Flickr page and through his Instagram page. The guy is a man of tremendous success at a young age multiple times, but any person in the hobby can send him a DM and he will reply to them. Uh, he is in one of the most powerful positions in our hobby, but he spends his Saturday night um, talking to the community. Uh, the guy is really a specimen and our hobby is is much the better for having him. And he's making a sacrifice by getting involved in this hobby on a business level. But it, I, I found his story remarkable, the story that he told on your on your episode, that the thing that really pushed him over the top to want to get involved with acquiring PSA and Collector's Universe was that he spent uh, some of the pandemic at home with his family. And while at home with his family, he rediscovered his old collection. And I can personally attest to just how powerful that can be um, and the, the nostalgic strings that it pulls. And so we have uh, we have Nat spending time at his family home to thank for him now being in the position that he's in and Collector's Universe going in the direction that it's going. And it, it all comes back to collecting and the passion for collecting. He's making a sacrifice because uh, he doesn't need to do this. He was already the, uh, an incredibly prestigious collector. And you can tell that that's where his number one passion lies is in the collection. And 
you know, he was talking about card shops that he'd gone to over the last two days. He yeah. was in one in Michigan yesterday, and then he was in one in New Jersey today. I mean, the guy, he, he probably is a lot like you or, and me and Christina. If we go to a new town or we're out of town, we have to go to the shops that are in that town. You know, this guy is a purist and it's amazing to see. And so he's sacrificing a, some of the joy that the hobby brings him by taking on that job because <laughs> suddenly now the hobby is a profession with professional duties, responsibilities, and obligations, and not just a passion project. And B, you know, now when he comes on Sports Cards Live, um, you know, half the questions that he gets from the chat and from you are going to be about PSA and his business. But in his heart of hearts, he just wants to let you see his wall of wax. Um, so I, I, I think he he's a really he's a special guy, special guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny, you know, because, again, I'm so busy doing the show that I didn't hear every word he said when I asked that really important really interesting question and the fact that he got one of the reasons he's at the helm of PSA is because of the pandemic which is really one of the catalysts for all of us being right here together all 170 of us that are here right now hanging out this show may or may not exist without the pandemic I don't know if card ladder may or may not exist without the pandemic right like true it's, uh, true the it's like they say you know in a, it's not war but most innovate not I don't know about most, but innovation comes from war. That's where a lot of innovation comes from. And the pandemic was a war, a war against the virus, and a lot of innovation took place. And not just innovation, but change and creation and creativity. So the hobby has definitely benefited from the pandemic. The community in the hobby has, I'll just kind of call it the community within the hobby has definitely benefited. Uh, Bobby says, interestingly, PSA is titled Authenticator as others have grading in their titles. See, that is so key. A great pickup, Bobby, because it's it's like, it's it, to me, it's obvious that PSA should be titled Authenticator because that is number one. Authenticate, grade, protect. That is their job. And uh, which is why I asked the question to him. And I don't know what answer I was really looking for, but I did ask, you know, do you feel like the experience you guys have is a competitive advantage? And I mean, I know the answer is yes, but <laughs> as a as a graded card owner and someone who believes in in the system, because I believe in experience and I don't think it's hocus pocus, I think it's experience. And if you have it, so that's why, you know, I've invited any of the new grading companies. I put it out there. Come on, the reach out, come on the show. State your case. I want to hear it. I want. I want to understand why I should give you my business. And I haven't heard from any of them now. And I know some of them watch. So I'm. I'm just. You know that that just causes me to again authentication, as Jake says, authentication number one for sure. And uh, nothing against new businesses. I want to see everybody succeed. That's putting. That, that's investing in the hobby. But I want to understand if you're able to authenticate in addition to assess the technical condition of a, of a card. Uh, Trigger Finger wants to know when you're going to upgrade your sweater to a Super Bowl sweatshirt. <laughs> hey, that, the, the Bears. This is a Bears sweatshirt. So as soon as the Bears upgrade their performance to a Super Bowl, I'm upgrading the hoodie. Supreme, I want to shout out you, Chris. And Global says, what's next for Card Ladder? Uh, many things. Many, many things. New, new uh, Several cool new features are coming next week. Um, stay tuned. Yeah, Stay there you good. go. There you go. 
Don't uh, don't show all your cards at any given time. MMA says PSA grader is in a no-win situation. Catching up with backlog. Keep up the good work, PSA graders. Hang in there. Uh, I gotta I I gotta just make sure this is the actual Jeff Wilson. He's been impersonated on YouTube quite a bit lately, especially in my chat. Jeff, I think sports card investor. I think that is you. If it is, good evening, Jeff. Tracy, hello. Proware, hello. Ruben says, with all, uh oh, let's see what this is. With all due respect, I'm glad Nat won't lower the standards because that would be horrible. My last sub had eights that should be tens, and tens that should be eights. Never mind Fendi, they are Marley Payless. But Ruben, you don't have, like, that's just, what, Chris, what, what, what do you make of that comment? Okay, so <clears throat> I agree. Uh, I'm glad that there won't be any standard lowering. Um, he says my last sub had eights. That should be tens and tens. It should be eights. So he's being critical of the uh, the grading. And I think Nat, PSA, anybody would be very welcome to hear constructive criticism about ways that they can improve. You know, one of the interesting answers that Nat gave was that um, – uh, you you pressed the issue, which was excellent, because you you man, you really hit on a lot of questions that collectors have stored over the years, and we finally have somebody um, just willing to transparently answer them. And you were like, "Does PSA have a second person look at every card?" Yes, even the low end cards. Yes. Why? Well, quality control issues. Um, sometimes cards are overgraded. Sometimes they're undergraded. Got, want to make sure the right label is applied to the card. There can be finger entry errors. A car, a nine can show up on a label when eight should have been entered. When you're at scale, all these types of mistakes can be made. And um, even if they're very infrequent, um, there's, they still will happen from time to time. And when they do happen, because PSA is the leading grading company, they're going to come under spotlight and under magnification. So I think uh there, with with respect to this, um, this goes back to to what I believe is one of the most fundamental and important functions a grading company serves, which is consistent, incredible technical grade assessments. Which, by the way, I include authentication as a precursor to being able to assess a technical grade. But um, I, I think that's one of the most important functions that that a grading company can provide. And so, if a grading company's um, the credibility of their grades is 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 in question then that's a great opportunity to reflect on ways that they can you know improve messaging for example so like to uh, so csg new grading company csg they went and hired away from beckett two of beckett's best graders and not only did that serve as good marketing for csg but it paid the ultimate compliment to beckett grading services that csg when it went headhunting for people to start its grading company, they went and they plucked them from Beckett's offices. Um, I think we could use, um, just going to throw it out there, uh, we could use some marketing and some messaging and some transparency surrounding who graders are, what the criteria is to become a grader, what graders' experience levels are, learn a little bit about these people. I know these are introverted people. They don't want the spotlight on them. I get it. So maybe it can be partially anonymized. But it'd be really nice to know more about these graders and their credibility, because as one of the observations Nat said was that when he really got to dig into PSA's grading process, he was very impressed by a number of its facets. I think much of the hobby would be as well. And I think it, it, it could be very beneficial for the hobby to sort of see 
and and as you asked for a, a pullback of the curtain on a, on some levels. And I think from a marketing point of view, it really makes sense to increase confidence in one of the main functions that grading provides, which is reliable and accurate grading. Um, I think people would be quite impressed with the rigor that is applied to grading at the big grading companies like PSA, BGS, SGC. Yeah, the, the one thing I'll comment on that you just mentioned was, you know, what what are the profiles of the graders? And the fact of the matter is right now that a, a large percentage of them are probably brand new to the job and still mm. still going through training. So it's going to be tough. What I What I'm more interested in is the profile of the guys training the graders, you know? Sure. Because we know that the, the top two of the top two guys from Beckett are now at CSG. Who's now training these guys? And and what does that training look like? Because you know, it's been said that there's no there's no university degree, no college diploma that you go <laughs> get to be a grader. There's no central uh or there's no central authority that 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 uh that uh creates and breeds graders it's it's the company breeds them themselves so therefore you're gonna have different you're likely to have different training programs at psa than bgs and sgc than csg and so what do those training programs look like is what i'd like to know and who are the instructors or the senior graders how long have they been been at the job and that, that's where that's what I'd like to know. And I've been saying that from the beginning. And when I talk about some of the new companies that are in the space, I hope that they're I hope that they are um, conquering the learning curve as quickly as possible. But who's training them? If I start a grading company, what does that mean? That's a little hocus pocusy, right? If I just think, because do I have the equipment? Do I have the proper equipment? So to Ruben's question where he says, see the the only problem I have with Ruben's comment, Ruben, is the word should, you know, tens that should have be eights and eights that should be 10. How do you know? How do you know the word should? Do you have the technology that the grading companies use to grade your cards? Because you might not see everything. You probably don't. You actually, none of us do. So especially if you watched the video that uh, Jeff Wilson, a sports card investor, did it at SGC where they showed that one machine that like x-rayed the cards that was that was enlightening it showed things that were couldn't be seen by the naked eye like small little defects so the word should there i just don't think i think i just don't think ruben that's appropriate but i understand what you're saying we have expectations and i and i, I sympathize with you nonetheless let's keep on going see what else we have here uh this another trigger finger comment uh again another one i saw during the last show that i just couldn't find again but i thought it was a great question is you know this is a, this is an interesting angle right <laughs> People are going to, they're not going to want to pay for their orders. Although you have to give your credit card up front. So what are you going to do? Cancel your credit card just to avoid paying? Maybe you will. But if that happens, what is PSA going to do to those cards? Any thoughts? We'd just be speculating, but they, I mean, probably sell them. What else, what else would they do with them? Or could they? No, they can't sell. He said they will never sell cards. So they'll have to figure something out. Who knows? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I wouldn't even wouldn't even speculate on what that policy might be. I, I, that that person, Trigger Finger, has the mind of a fiction writer, no doubt. <laughs> Ask the good questions. Steve Tingwall says, "Good point on the effect of grade and flip pause affecting the market. It's a real thing right now, for sure, for sure." 
Um, okay, we're going to do this last comment, then we'll go back to your notes, Chris. Uh, MMA says, it says a lot about Nat. He wanted to talk about collector's questions tonight, not PSA questions. That <laughs> philosophy, PSA is in good hands. Completely agree. I just want to let everybody know, I primed Nat. Like, Nat knew what was coming, from me at least, because I, I had to. You know, I had to let him know. And when I went through with him the questions that I intended to ask, he did not say no to anything. He said Yep. Yep. Good. Good. Ah, better check with Steve or Joe. Yep. Yep. Good. Yep. So some things he just didn't know. And the que the only question he really didn't answer were ones that came from the crowd, like what's the salary of a grader? Everything I asked him that were in my notes, he answered. So I, I agree with the MMA. We are in the hobby is in good hands having a guy like Nat at the helm of that company. Definitely. Okay, Chris, anything else? What, what else uh, came from your notes? Well, to MMA's observation, um, most people probably aren't aware, but, but many are. Nat's collection is publicly cataloged in his Flickr account. So if you go to Google, um, put Nat Turner Flickr account, that's how I always get to it. And this guy's collection, when Jeremy asked him the question about would he ever consider donating or the pieces temporarily for display in a museum or starting a museum surrounding these pieces? That wasn't um, an unrealistic question. This guy's collection is museum worthy. It even the Flickr, um, his Flickr account, I will go and browse it from time to time. Um, and it, for some people, I'm, it's probably intimidating because um I wouldn't even dare to estimate what the value of it is. But if somebody said it was in the nine figures, I wouldn't be totally shocked by that. Eight figures for sure. Um, but looking at it, uh, it can be intimidating. But to me, it's very comforting to see the tremendous collecting achievement that he has accomplished over the course of his life, across the different phases of his life. And he still continues to add to it. And uh, you asked him a question about what's next. And, uh, you know, he, he lit up with joy and he mentioned several projects. He He's still working on PMG Green. There's three that he hasn't seen. And there's some that he has seen but hasn't acquired yet. But there's just a few left to go. And then he said um, the high-end 52 tops set, but very humbly said, but he doesn't think he'll be able to uh, complete that. Um, but partially because of just where the market is at on some of that stuff these days and how difficult it would be to track down PSA 10 or PSA 9 of the mantle. Um, but look, this guy still has an enormous appetite to continue adding to one of the greatest collections, perhaps the greatest public collection ever assembled. And even though uh, if the chat wasn't aware, Jeremy and I are aware that they were talking to maybe the one of the two, three greatest living collectors, period, even if people weren't aware of that. But but we were, Nat still was so humble to say, yeah, you know, Bob M. Track, uh, he was smarter than me when we both started collecting LeBrons at the same time. I focused on base, he focused on the rear parallels. I mean, the the, the humility um, from from probably the, the owner of the greatest collections in the public eye. We don't know what's what's not public. We don't know what private collectors are out there, but his collection is just unreal. Um, so, you know, of course, he, he would be expecting a lot of questions about his collection. And for the people who don't know what a tremendous collection he has, uh, go check out his Flickr sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Agree with that. Check it out. And yeah, his collection is extraordinary from what I've seen. His his, his Instagram account uh, is, is just a treat to look at as well. 
well, what a show tonight, boys. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I always have to make sure it's Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. Uh, Aaron says lots of VIPs in here again tonight. I do appreciate the junk wax inquiry. There you go. Very good. Ruben says, what would be the point of a site with pop reports from all the greatest? They're not all held to the same standard. Just knowing what's out there. Just knowing what's out there. Pretty simple. MMA, whatever. Whatever company can consolidate that information would be great. Yes. Uh, Rock Latex, good luck in joining the sets across all three grading companies for the pop reports. Zed loves Chris. <laughs> and Zed is not Zed, Zed. I don't know if you know Zed, but Zed's been around. Zed's been around. So that's not... Uh, not, not a, uh, what do we call him again? A troll. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Carmen, you too, new background. Very different than the crossover. For sure. <laughs> What's up, Carmen? For sure. For sure. Um, okay. Sorry. You were going to go to a note and then, but then you went to that comment. Sure. What else do I have here? Um, oh, tech. I think we, we ought to talk about tech a little bit. And that uh, has a lot of experience and success with tech. So one of the things he mentioned was um, an app that would let you take a picture of your card and the app would give you a soft grade, which is an interesting idea. Um, and it's probably not, unless PSA is charging you per soft grade, it's probably not good for their bottom line, but it sure is good for people to grade and not get bad grades or unexpected grades. Uh so that was really interesting that he wanted to do something like that. And then he mentioned doing something like that. I think that's got a ton of potential. And it's that's probably the closest you'll ever get to being able to have a card slabbed um, in hand quickly. In fact, I wonder if we would see people who would start selling their cards on eBay without getting them graded, but just take a screenshot of the uh, of the assessment of the soft grade assessment from the app. And then sure. For sure. For sure. <laughs> what am I thinking? Of course they would. So that that's an interesting innovation that he's uh, suggesting. And, and again, that comes from his collector point of view. You know, it was funny. He said he has a wish list of things that he'd like to do at PSA, but there's lots of practical limitations. And he puts clearly trust and belief in the team operating PSA. And he's not trying to interfere or break anything that isn't there, fix anything that isn't broken. But um I, that that's interesting. There's a lot of implications to that. Also the idea of being able to take a picture of a card and then the grading submission is automatically filled out for you. It's a very interesting concept. Um, group subbers in particular would be the biggest beneficiaries of that probably um, because of the way that they fill out submission forms at scale, but everybody would get a kick out of that, a thrill out of something like that. From a technological point of view, it'd be very interesting. How would they do that? wouldn't you need a database with a picture of literally every card that exists in order to be able to auto-populate information? Maybe not. I don't know. But um, I, if anybody can solve it, it's Nat and his team. So there's something. Tech, what do you think about it? And then he, he mentioned in, with, with great transparency what Genement is going to do and what it isn't going to do. It's not designed to replace graders, um, which I think is excellent. Uh, instead, it's designed to assist, uh, and in particular, to assist in the detection of fraud and counterfeiting and stuff like that. So lots that, of interesting tech talk there. That little piece there where that that was a bit that I would say 
the fact that Genement is mostly going to be implemented to detect fraud and trimming and, and inauthentic, uh, you know, additions to car, whether paper restoration or color, that sort of thing. I was actually hoping that it was going to be able to, to act, to do more grading. So, but to, to an extent, I'm happy that I'm not happy it doesn't, but I'm not so surprised. I've always wondered just how, just how well, a computer could grade a card. So measure, measuring is one thing, but how do you, I don't know. I mean, how does it, how does it assess the damage to a corner or the damage to an edge or the surface? And, and how does it, I mean, it would be a crazy, crazy algorithm to do that. But I'm sure it's, it must be possible at this point. But anyway, I thought that I was under the impression it was going to be able to do more grading than simply detecting fraud. So I was misinformed, which isn't doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're often all misinformed in this hobby. On things, <laughs> or, right. you know, we sure especially, are. Especially when we think we're not. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to run through some more comments here. Darcy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great job. We're at the, Darcy, we're just not going to get into players tonight, though, but great to have you as always. <laughs> Oku, Oku. Do you think that's the player he's referencing? What's that? The re the player he's referencing has a nickname, Poku. Poku. Okay, okay. Here, Chris, take a shot at this one, but quickly. Uh, what's going on with the hobby? <laughs> dip, dip. Or are we headed for pre-COVID prices? That, those are your answers. Those are your. Those, well, no, those aren't. Those aren't. Those aren't really a, a complete set of answers. So. Dip or worse? Is that the question? Dip or pre? Oh, so a, a, a temporary dip, like every dip would be, or pre-COVID prices? Well, we're definitely in a dip in many segments. Not all, though. It's always uh, always an important asterisk there. Um, 1952 tops, Jackie Robinson keeps setting all-time highs. There's certain segments of this market that are flourishing. Did anybody happen to catch last night on Leland's a Tom Brady championship ticket contenders BGS nine auto 10 sold for $3.1 million. Did that happen uh, in the middle of a, of a dip? Yeah. Yes, it did. Uh, do we have is, 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 is the biggest grading company um, shut down for several months because of the unsatisfiable um, demand for its services right now. And by the way, if I may, uh, did a second grading company have to shut down its doors because the surplus demand from PSA trickled over? Yes, they did. And um, that was one of the things that I thought PSA probably contemplated was what are the risks of shutting down for a while? Well, one of them is driving customers to other people. Yeah, but can any other companies handle the surplus either? No, they yeah. sure can't. Um, so I, are we in a dip? Yeah, for many cards, many prices. Um, are all cards dipping? No, there's lots of signs of life and optimism. Um, you know, the, the Brady championship ticket BGS nine, uh, that card sold for $400,000 in February of 2019. Uh, so less than two and a half years ago, that card was signed for 400,000 and now it's doing 3.1 million. Um, pretty remarkable. Uh, but I don't want to be insensitive to, um, people who did buy cards, especially over the last three to four months, and who have experienced a decrease in price uh, with respect to those cards, um, that is real, and there is a dip. And um, I'll tell you this, if anybody knows which way the market is headed, 
that person uh, is in possession of a very valuable piece of information. <laughs> I sure as hell do not know which way this market is going, but I'll tell you this, the one condition that I look for, for long-term health and sustainability of this hobby is are the people who are in this hobby enjoying it and having fun? Because if they are, the odds are likely that they will continue participating in it, getting clever, more clever, and finding more ways to uh, to get better at it. So that's as short as I got. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. Um, I'm going to just clear out the chat a little bit. We've got a few imposters I'm seeing. Um, okay. Thanks, uh, guys. What's that? I said, get those imposters out of here. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try here. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know your channel is is big time when you when the trolls are flocking. Yeah, we're we're ha I'm having the same issue here as I did on the last show. Uh, the 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 comments are are coming fast and hard. Let's I'm, not that you guys will listen to me, but if we can just halt comments for a minute, we can get to a few. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just gonna have to uh, sort of ignore them for a while. I do appreciate all you guys. There's Josh Cardboard Chronicles throws out a yo. Josh, Josh. I I think it's the real Josh. It seems to be. You never know. You never know these days, but if it is, good evening to you, Josh. Uh, you you know, actually, that reminds me. Um, oh, crap. What were we just talking about? Something that came up last night on uh, your show on Instagram on the crossover. Mm -hmm. Damn it. I, it slipped my mind. Something we were just talking about. I apologize. I'm having trouble keeping up tonight. What else you got? Oh, yeah. I, I'm not even going to bother with the comments right now. Sorry, guys. There's just too many of them. I can't. Uh, I, I can't stay ahead of you. So what else you got on, on the, uh, on your notes there, Chris? Well, um, somebody asked the question, was the Brady that sold on Leland's the same one that sold for PWCC? And I can actually answer that question. Um, let, all right. So I see, I just looked at the serial number on the February, 2019 PWCC and I'm looking at the serial number on the Leland, different cards, different cards fyi to the person who asked that question tampa different home investors different cards different copy but the same card uh, right correct yeah yeah correct um okay what else yeah so we've touched on tech we've touched on a lot of different things um how about some of the some of the collecting stuff that he talked about which was pretty interesting his favorite box um which made christina extremely envious because he has 20 of them is the 1997 metal universe hobby box. Mm -hmm. uh, quite fun. What did you think about the fact that he's like really into the wax? Right. I now? love it. I, okay. I, I mean, I love it from a, you know, he only, I think he said he only stockpiles like one or two products where he just will buy everyone he can. Cause he, I think he eventually will open them. I don't think these are investments for him, those buy. I think he'll open them once a year for the rest of his life sort of thing. I love having like one unopened pack of every year of stuff that I've collected. So I, I think that's really cool. I, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, stockpiling modern wax, which you provided a perspective on that, that I hadn't thought of a couple months ago in Clubhouse, I think it was, mm. um, you know, and uh, so that, yeah, you kind of swayed me that way, not being a huge fan of that. Because it's part of what's causing the 
the prices of modern ultra modern wax to be so high which will benefit those people but it's hurting i think the overall hobby so yeah i think it's neat i, I like it i like it too i think it's really cool what oh what i actually found interesting was he said you can't grade a foil pack which i don't understand that i didn't i didn't press that but i didn't understand it either did that make uh did, do you have any insight into why that might be i have no idea why that might be yeah, that, that, that surprised me. That surprised me. Uh, here, uh, Currency says, what about Nat referring to rookie year parallels as true rookies? Now, I'll just say, he didn't say true rookies. He said rookie cards. I don't even know if there's a distinction there, but I just I just want to make sure that we're using his exact words. I think those that's what he said. I agree they had been kind of overlooked for years, but I still think the base card is the true rookie. Is my logic outdated these days? That's such a great question. Check out... Um, uh, Victor's channel, the all-time greats blog. He analyzes the rookie card, and he'll tell you that that it, that you're right, Abdul. It is the um, it is the base card that's the true rookie card. But I'm more like Nat. For me, I can decide what I want in my collection. I'm not going to tell you that a a parallel is an RC, but I will tell you that it's as good as a rookie card for me. The rookie year designation is as good as as a card to me as they as a the ry designation is as good as the rc in many cases modern day cards like modern day like you know up until like 1990 kind of there maybe even nine two thousand or so i have no issue with that and it also helps a lot of those i mean so many of those cards are so important so why why withhold the designation from them or or the status even not so much the designation but i think the designation is losing importance and the status is is what's more important now of a specific card. Does that resonate with you, Chris? I'm and I'm, I'm making it up as I go along, so I, I'm I'm open to discuss. definitely resonates, definitely resonates. Uh, and I'll defer to the experts on this one. Um, you and uh, you had a great guest on your show not long ago. You guys talked about this topic at great length. Uh, whatever you guys decide, I will adopt. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. There was a comment from Jordan Hagedorn in here. I can't find it right now. Apologies, Jordan, but uh, thank you for, for tuning in. Great to have you as always. Uh, what's this? Mr. Wonderful, wouldn't it just be more cost effective and efficient if all cards were computer graded? I mean, if it's possible, but I think I, we just, we're just not, we're just not there at this point in time, uh, Mr. Wonderful, but uh, I think it's a nice, it's a nice dream for us to have, and perhaps we will get there one day. Uh, Tampa says, I agree there should be way more transparency with graders, but I'm sure they also want to protect who they are. You know, that there must be an element of that, right? Because people, pe humans can be tempted by, by things like bribery, for example. So keeping the, 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 the identity of the graders private might actually be better for all of us in the long run. So, you know, I, I think that there's, there's two sides to that. And I, I agree with what Tampa's saying here. Yeah. He, yeah. If they're, if they're known to people in the industry, there's ways people can get to them. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you on that Tampa. I think we have to be cognizant and just uh, sensitive to that right there for sure. For sure. Trigger finger says uh, great question about the, Oh yeah. Toa, I think asks somewhere. Well, let's read this one. I'm wondering what takeaways made him feel good about the hobby and any that may have made him feel a bit concerned about the hobby about the, so, so Dr. Beckett held a content creators roundtable dinner 
in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. It was it was invitation only. It wasn't open to the public. And um, Dr. Beckett sent out, I received the invitation myself, but I was not there. I could not make it. I would have loved to have been there. And uh, I did, Toa said somewhere, have I gotten to it yet? I've listened actually a couple nights ago. I listened to all of them consecutively. And my my takeaway was it left me wanting for more. I would again. I wanted to be there. It left me wanting to more. I, I almost wish Dr. Beckett would go past his fifteen minute rule for his uh, podcast because <laughs> some of them were cut off mid sentence. A couple of them. So, but Chris, why don't can you shed some light on on the on some of the key takeaways that you had because you were at the table. I was there. I was there with Christina and with Josh. And it was quite the honor. Uh, it was my first time ever meeting Dr. Beckett, which was uh, quite the treat. And he is even more um, uh, impressive and commanding of respect in person than he is when you correspond with him online. True goat, true dignified, and man of prestige at the highest level. Um, he, he, he's also very humble. Uh, he, he made sure everybody had their voice heard, which was terrific because this was a room of probably 20 to 30 people, uh, extremely diplomatic, sensitive, thoughtful person. The moment of the event to me, which card porn found, um, impressively and highlighted, um, without any guidance or nudge from me, uh, but they identified the key moments the the turning points of that meeting and uh, that was recorded. And it was, it came at the prompting of Rich Klein, uh, who was there. And he asked a question to Dr. Beckett relating to Beckett's, Beckett Magazine's policies in the 90s in particular, with respect to giving investment advice uh, in, with respect to sports cards. And Rich had a loaded question because the question was, why didn't you do it? And Beckett replied um, in a perfectly measured response that I thought struck just the right chord. Uh, he simply said, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is roughly it. He simply said, we didn't do it because it was wrong. And I thought that was extremely tasteful, thoughtful, and coming from a voice um, of such influence like him, I mean, one has to think there, there's a clamoring in the YouTube content era to make content that attracts eyeballs. And there seems to be a, 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 a strand of thought that uh, making investment picks is one way to do it, giving investment advice. Uh, but Dr. Beckett puts all of us modern day content creators to absolute shame. He had circulation of his basketball magazine, his basketball card magazine alone. Uh, in the millions of issues per month, millions, millions of issues of a magazine being delivered to people per month. And that same uh, volume of distribution applied to other sports, baseball, football, hockey as well. Um, and so in other words, this guy had the greatest audience in the history of sports card audiences. Dr. James Beckett commanded it. And what did he do with that responsibility and with that platform and how did he build it? And it really all distills down to that one sentence that he said, which was, they didn't ever give investment advice because it was the wrong thing to do. And I thought that was, that, that was the biggest, by far the biggest takeaway from that event. 
And uh, like I said, Card Porn's Instagram page has excerpted that and uh, made a clip out of it. And I thought that was that was smart. And they they noticed the same thing I noticed when I was there. Yeah, fair uh, a fair takeaway for sure, for sure. Let me just ask you this: uh, just sort of a, a summary statement. Was it was it everything you hoped it would be that dinner? Hmm. Uh, well, I don't know. It was just fascinating. <laughs> it was, I mean, you, you're talking about a collection of people in a room who would never be within the same four walls. Otherwise it, it was, it was, but for the influence and, and the, the power of being invited to a Beckett, a, a James Beckett dinner that brought this eclectic group of people together. And it was just fascinating just to pretty much be a fly on the wall in that room. I didn't really have much to say or much to offer. Um, it's just It was just great to listen, to spectate, to hear many different points of view. And, uh, and to enjoy that moment with Josh and Christina, um, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. cool. That's cool. Toa says, a lot of these new grading companies are more like label companies selling the cool custom label instead of the grading. I, I can see that, that, uh, that angle for sure. Uh, PSA slab guy says most won't last. Uh, let's see. We're going to run through some comments now, Chris. So if you want to, uh, you can take a little break if you want for a few seconds. Gotcha. I'm just going to see. Oh, I like this one from Jose. I would think the three, the big three grading companies have catalogs or samples of all cards through the decades. How else could one authenticate a card from the 1940s? How does one detect a fake finished hockey card i think jose nailed it that they have a samples of these cards so they can put them side by side and compare everything under microscope right down to the fiber of the cardboard that is exactly how they do it i've been i said it earlier at the on the prior show i've been in the psa facility 2009 i had a full tour right into the security i saw the, i saw it all i did i saw we saw everything carbon if it was in there was right beside me during that during that tour and they had their their reference material room was the most impressive part of the whole operation which is why i have so much faith in psa uh so that's exactly how they do it jose very astute comment by you we're going to keep on running through some of these here Behind the tank says, if you read PSA's terms, they reserve the right to do whatever they want with cards that are unpaid after 180 days. They could simply do a deal with a large local vendor. Yeah, for sure. And I, I wouldn't, that's nothing wrong with that. They better that than putting them in the dump, right? We don't want any of these cards to be burned, I don't think. Trigger Shout finger. out to Behind the Tank, too, for doing the research and going and looking that up. I love yeah. guys like that or girls. Good point. Yeah, I know you love because you're a researcher, so of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done, Tanks. Well done. Jeremy, let's start a, tra a grading training school. It'd be like tech school where you are out in six months with guaranteed jobs. I'm sure pre grading companies would pay a decent premium for our graduate. You're right. There would be guaranteed jobs, but who am I to start the to, to, to start the school, right? That's 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 the flaw in the in the argument. I would need to get trained by the senior graders of PSA before I'd feel comfortable and go through a couple years of rigorous grading to qualify <laughs> to do that. Once that's done, trigger finger, partner. Well, we can partner up on that for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, the dream. Good comment here for those that haven't watched the SGC video again from the sports card investor uh, uh, tour. It's enlightening. None of us have those tools, equipment at home. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Well said. 
Uh, Tampa says that Nat has one of the best collections if, in the world, if not the best. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's his name? That oh, Kendrick that owns the Arizona Diamondbacks. He may, you know, um, was it Albert Bell? Used to, I think it was Albert Bell. Used to have what might have been the best collection in the world, like a PSA 10 of every Hall of Fame baseball card there was. So to that, Tampa, maybe Kendrick does at this point. Not not sure for sure. We, we probably don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, John did not say that people could get their cards back before getting them graded since it's taking, uh, that did not come up. That did not come up. Logan Ward looking forward to the set registry enhancements. Yeah, that was exciting to hear. I'm looking forward to see what those are as well. Ruben says, what's the deal with the grading companies that grade grading companies grades? See, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to take this one, Chris, very quickly. And I'm just going to let you guys know. I don't like, I know a lot of people are very critical of these, of the Mike Baker authenticated, I think. Listen, if you listen, PWCC does it with their special, their special I appeal designations. Not all PSA 8s are the same. That's just the fact. If you have the tools and the eye and the experience, why not put your little sticker on a card that is in the top whatever percent that you believe it to be of cards of that card? It actually makes sense to me because there aren't an infinite number of, there's only 10 points on the scale or like 18 or 19 if you consider the half points. So to me, it's not as outlandish of an idea as people think it is. So I don't know. I know I'm in the minority on that take, but um, I think it makes, I think there's, there's, there's logic to it. And uh, why not, you know, PS, uh, PWCC gets major premiums on their, on their top 5%, their top 15% and their top 30% cards. It's the exact same thing that this Mike Baker authenticated is doing, who apparently was one of the original graders of PSA. So he knows what he's looking at. I, I'm not, I'm not nearly as hard as uh, on, on these uh, services as, the general hobby is that I see on uh, Instagram and, uh, and YouTube. Um, okay. Let's see what else we got. Dr. Beckett's collection is thrown out there as one that may be great. Could be, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's very strong. We see his wall behind him when he's, uh, when he's <laughs> out and about on public, even though it's kind of looks a little electronic, but it is definitely there. Uh, let's see what else we got here, guys. Thanks for all the action in the chat tonight, everybody. Definitely having some fun. Jose says, everyone thinks their cards are gem mint 10s. By the way, I'm against pre-screens. Waste valuable time for the graders. If so, that comes back to Nat's. What he, he, he didn't say it was coming. He said what he'd like to see would be an app that could do that. I think that, I think this just makes me laugh because I think that's so tongue in cheek. <laughs> that's the real Josh, no that's doubt about the real it. Josh, isn't it? Yeah, that, we know that's the real Josh now for sure. Uh, and I'm way behind in the comments, but I want to get through. I want to get through these guys because I, you guys have had some great ones for sure. Christina in the house. Christina in the house, right there. It says Min Thrilla from the from Manila. <laughs> Carvin says I love Nat answers on rookie card parallels variations. It was designed that. Oh, see right there, it was designed that way. I think what Crit, what what Carvin is saying is that I think what you're saying, Carvin, is that the parallels of rookie cards are meant to be rookie cards. I think that's what he's saying. I just hate calling rookie inserts rookie cards or RPAs. Maybe you're not saying that. Maybe you're saying the opposite of that. Then, <laughs> and but Triggerfinger says to hit that like button, everybody. Hit that like button. Subscribe to Sports Cards Live if you haven't yet. Do that right now. I'll we'll give you all. Five seconds to go subscribe to the channel. I don't do this. I've never done that before. 
Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for subscribing. Much appreciated. We're almost at 3,000. We are almost at the the, the milestone wow. 3,000. I thank everybody very Congrats. much. I mean, it's no, you know, we got guys and, and guys that I, I really like in the hobby. I like them as people like uh, Brad from the Comeback Card Investor and Dustin from the Personal Finance Dad. These are some great guys. We got um, uh, collector, investor, dealer in that order. Just his name is Escape Baseball Card Collector. That guy, he's got like almost 30,000 subscribers, like some really great guys. And uh, it'd be cool to get up there, but it's tough when your videos are all two hours plus, you know, to, to, to hit those numbers. I, I dare any of those guys to make a live video and get 400 viewers for two hours on a Saturday night. I bet they couldn't do it. Fair, fair enough, but nothing against them, right? It's different content. It's different content that they're putting out exactly. there. And that's exactly right. It's just different. Yeah. It's different audience, different content. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, I think this must be Jeremy Stein from Clubhouse, says it would benefit from more well-moderated rooms to increase the quality. Too many times the discussions are dominated by talkers and tangents. I agree. I sometimes leave when some of the rambling, uh, no offense, Chris, when some of the rambling goes on. And you're, you're, the thing about your rambling is that it's usually very, uh, very um, uh, engaging. The manufacturers slap a rookie card right on the front now. Stop thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> right there joe perot congrats you on the new luca which was an immaculate i believe which is my favorite panini product just the way it looks i don't know do you have any idea chris uh did i just lose where i am right here is this sports card ladder is that a is that an imposter uh this is the official sports card ladder i'm typing while looking at the camera it, <clears throat> that is my secret account right there actually yes that is me Typing with my third and fourth hands that are not visible. So that's an imposter. Screen. All right. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I just I, I didn't even understand that that they were thinking that they were pretending to be you. I didn't even catch on to that. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Says I thought it was interesting that Nat seemed to really like the aesthetics of the PSA slab, but then hinted at multiple changes to it later in the interview. But the change, yeah, he he hinted to. I think what he hinted to were security changes that would be very subtle, maybe even like unnoticeable to to the the, the common uh, collector like ourselves. So that's what I got from that, Scott. He says I find it interesting the PSA has seven five eight five, but don't have a nine five. So this came up way back because PSA only introduced half grades like ten years ago or so. For the longest time, they didn't have any. When they added them, their rationale at the time, and this won't be exact, but it will be how I remember it was that, you know, once you get to a nine, it's either a nine or a 10. There's no halfway. That's the way they, that's my recollection of it. Please don't hold me to it. Just my recollection. Someone else might have a better uh, memory of, of what they, how they justified it at the time. But that's what I remember. Angie, welcome. Says, by the way, Jeremy, how about those Habs and Carey Price? Yeah, yeah. They're doing very well right now. Very well. Oh, here we go. Tampa says it's because a card is either gem or it's not. So that's <laughs> basically how I remember it as well. Cardboard Chronicle says making picks is wrong. I guess that's uh, a reference to the dinner this past uh, the, the Jim, Jim Beckett dinner. Uh, Rock Latex is too late to do the nine fives for PSA. Yeah, I think that would be disaster. Like it would be, it would just be a a shockwave through the hobby that I don't want to feel the reverberations it would create. Let's keep on going here. 
Tampa says Beckett had hot lists and all that. So if they didn't, it was a razor thin line they were dancing on. That's an interesting comment that I'm sure. That yeah, I no, I that it's an excellent it's an excellent comment and a, and a thoughtful one. Uh, however, I think if I were to put myself into Beckett's shoes, the distinction that he would draw would be that hot lists reflected past performance. Hot lists were empirical um, with a mix of editorial sprinkle with an editorial sprinkle. Um, the difference between a hot list and a pick is that a card pick is a piece of investment advice that attempts to forecast the future. So uh, to give a very clear example of, an, of what an investment pick looks like in the modern era, it's an email blast that instructs a select group of users on a particular card that is being forecasted to go up in value. And the ethical implications of that, especially in a market that, that is as dynamic and in some sense, as small and as manipulable as the card market is, um, I think Beckett is on firm footing when he says that it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, so that's that's the difference: is that a hot list and ever, and all of the work that Beckett did was backward looking. It was attempting to re represent and reflect things that had already happened. A card pick is a forecast of the future. The one the one thing I want to say though is that. I, I, the fact that it's empirical, respectful, res respectable. However, the effect of it is not back, is not looking back. The effect of that hot list looks forward. People see that, they go buy them in the future after that's published. So the impact of them may be the same as a, as a pick. The impact may be, but because the, the, the difference and a very important dis distinction between the two is that the pick is 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 encouraging you to buy something that might go up in value where the hot list is saying this is hot people people naturally buy hot players it's just the way it is so the effect might be the same even could though be. even though the 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 intention is not i think that's important to put out there as well and it's not nothing it's not to vindicate um the hot list at all i i i, I lived for the hot list back in the late 80s early 90s I, I loved the hot list i couldn't wait i couldn't wait for the hot list you know it was always a, a sure. very fun thing to get toa wants to know will there be another panel during the national with dr beckett I, did he mention that i don't know good question I yeah i hope so i hope so too i hope so and i hope i receive an invitation and i will definitely attend that one if uh if uh, if there is, uh, Mike Wick says, I had a Beckett subscription as a kid and can remember when it came out in the mail, how excited I was to see what cards were going up that I had arrows up. Good. Yeah, those arrows. I was thinking about those too, Mike. The up arrows were also had the same impact as a, again, empirical, historical. But the impact is hot. People didn't take it as went up. They took they took it as going up. Look, I mean, Chris, back in the day, you'd open up, you'd be in the car. Hey, guys. Look at that. The Sergey Fedorov rookie card is going up. It wasn't, it, hey guys, look at that. The Sergey Fedorov rookie card went up. No one ever said went up. Everyone only ever said going up, right? Sure. It, it's what's the, what's the actual uh, practical effect? So, and you got to think that they knew that, but still, people wanted it. People wanted to know it, it, it's, if it's backed by data, I'm okay with it. People can decide what to do with that data as long as it's disclosed in there how it's formed and where that data comes from or where those hot lists to how it's generated and why those uh, up arrows are in there. Um, 
Yeah, right here. Sports Card Times, the hot list on Beckett Magazine. Always took it as the cards to have, which meant if you didn't, you had to go buy them or go go trade for them <laughs> or whatever. Uh, Scott says, uh, that's my point. If there's no industry standard, then PSA clearly thinks half grades are needed because they even have half grades from nine below. Of course, guys, like SGC was the was probably the most accurate grader back in the day when they had the 100-point scale. Like the 100-point scale makes a lot more sense than a 10-point than a or a 19-point scale. It just does. There, there could be a million-point scale, and you still wouldn't cover all the conditions a card could be in. But it's just, it just becomes a, a, a practical impossibility so you we just don't go there right okay well we're gonna uh sorry i'm clicking on things here we're gonna get past the grading stuff there or the half grade stuff yeah this is a great point luca here makes people don't understand that a grade has a variance to it exactly not there are there are strong average and low low uh condition cards within each grade point Hanji wants to know who besides Nat have great collections in North America. Many people, many people do. Mikey in the house says, do you believe that PSA is doing population control by severely limiting? Uh, he, he totally dispelled that on the episode. The, 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 the factual, I'm going to take it as fact. I'm going to communicate as fact is that they are certainly not doing that. That, that is just a, that is hobby narrative that is manufactured. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, say that because i i believe uh i trust nat's uh, comment on that how about you chris yeah and i think it has to be looked at on a card by card basis so somebody might say why does the 1986 fleer jordan not add a psa 10 um for a year like why has it been at 316 or 317 for a year for two years it must be because um there is uh there's population control uh there's more copies being graded um we're seeing that the distribution of those grades is, is there's no 10 showing up in that distribution. So therefore there's population control, but there's a weak link in that um, inferential chain. And the weak link is the context of what type of cards are being submitted in the year 2021 versus what, what caliber of cards were being submitted. What was the pool of cards being submitted 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Uh, 10, 20 years ago, even that card held great value as a PSA 10. And so there was strong incentive for uh, gem mint caliber copies to be submitted at that time. And so it's likely that all of the really high condition copies of that card that were existing in raw form were sent in already. Um, and so the likelihood of there being more tens added on in the present is is probably very low because there's probably not a lot of true 10 gem and copies just circulating out there. However, with that said, there's still a small question. Okay, surely there's people crossing over BGS 9.5 trues. Um, surely there's people trying to cross over SGC 10s, not pristines, but gem mints. Surely at least one of those would, would cross, right? But Nat also addressed that too. He said that um, sometimes they don't cross, not because the card isn't, of the condition that would merit a 10, but they just don't know. They can't see through the case properly to be able to assess the condition from, from the card encapsulated. So, but, but I, I do want to say this, there, there is some, it's, it's not like it's totally coming out of left field when people say there seems to be some level of population control. <clears throat> people do have some reason to be slightly suspicious. Now does, does, does them having suspicions 
lead to anything concrete or conclusive? No, it doesn't necessarily lead to that. But I'm not going to just dismiss them out of hand either. I think there is a there is some basis with specific cards to wonder if perhaps the populations are being controlled. People can always wonder, right? And that's all that's all it can be. That's all it can be at this point. Um, okay, Daniel, yes, I was referring to Dimitri Young, not Albert Bell. Thank you for the correction on that. Uh, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Ruben says, I don't follow the logic of grade the graders. I feel if you do that, then you don't have faith in the company you grade with. So what's the point? I mean, Ruben, if you I, this comment is from 15 minutes ago. So I you must you must get it by now because we've pretty much uh, addressed exactly why that does make sense. Carbon says rookie cards, part of the base set. Rookie inserts are not numbered as part. Yeah. So what about parallels, Carbon? Parallels. That's really what I want to know. If the card is numbered just like the base card is, is that a rookie card in your opinion, Carb? Um, to me, I I'm willing to go with it being being so. I'm willing to give it that that desi that that designation or the uh, for sure the status and even the designation. Uh, card porn. The other major topic you haven't discussed with Nat are the following: no subgrades. Yeah, he said that. No PSA ten or premium ten. He said that. No population control. We just covered. Not all cards are being reviewed for reholders. That one, I don't, I'm not sure what that one is about, but the first one, yeah, no subgrades, that will not be coming. He did say that there, once they once they have a few other things done, that there may be a database that you can uh, tap into to see what the what the grading, um, the grading points looked like, the subgrades, but you're not going to see it on the on the label itself. And he said there's no room for it, which in a way, I'm I'm glad that they're not going to change their label, but on the other hand, is that a good enough reason? I, I don't know the answer to that. But, hey, it's been working for them so far. Chris, a quick, a quick, uh, quick comment quick. on that? I Most 95% of the ideas that I hear generated from hobby commentators about ways to improve grading or grading companies, I don't like. Or to improve the hobby industry as a whole. I think they're very creative. They're too creative for their own good. But this yeah. idea here that Nat suggested of the potential that while there will never be subgrades on a PSA label, that the four um, technical assessments of the four subgrades or some level of technical assessment could be accessible by going to this, this uh, maybe by scanning um, into the iPhone app, uh, into your app, um, the PSA's label or um, somehow access that information by doing a lookup of the cert number on PSA's website. I think that is terrific. I think that adds a layer of discovery and intrigue. It makes the hobby more engaging. Um, I I think that's a really neat idea. Yeah, I think it's an excellent idea, and I'll tell you, it'll be it'll likely be more than four uh, criteria. I think they grade on like almost twenty altogether, from what I remember wow. when I when I learned more about it back in the day. Manila Thrill lets me know Chris Sewell, collector, baseball card or baseball card collector, investor, dealer in that order. Yeah, I, I love I love his monotone presentation. The guy is just I can listen to him. Very much enjoy his channel. Yes, uh, Mikey enjoys it too for sure, for sure. Oh boy, oh boy, we're lots of comment. Chris, if you need to roll it all, let me know. Uh, I can I can okay. keep it going. You let me know when you want it when you want to get out of here. Um, okay, Carvin. Many people call the rookie inserts as rookie cards and RPAs. It's deceiving to true collectors. The the hate the rookie. The, they hate rookie card logos. It's on everything, including inserts. It's deceiving. Okay, fair, fair. 
You do extraordinary, uh, Mikey says, you do extraordinary work lives. It's hard to keep the energy up and be live consistently. Extraordinary work. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Tampa, exactly what I said. I think we're on the same page, you and I, tonight. <laughs> says, a card is either gem. Oh, there we go. We are. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Wonderful. Chris, are you a believer in the chain reaction effect? How concerned are you that low card values will have the opposite effect? That's going to take too long. We're going to skip it. But thank you for the question, <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. Kyle Brown, Chris, what's your favorite memory or moment from the crossover? I look forward to it every Friday night. Oh, that's a cool question. Do you have a favorite moment or memory from uh, the show, the crossover that you guys do on Instagram live on Friday nights? Mm. Five, four, <laughs> three. I, my favorite moment is when Adam Lefko created the character Wash for Josh. And it's Josh's alter ego. And Josh will turn his head backwards and become Wash. And then anything he says is attributable to Wash, not to Josh. That's that hilarious. That is probably my favorite moment. One of them. Mine, my favorite moment was the Josh Luber, uh, the Josh Luber night that you guys had. I thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, mm, that, was that good. episode that you guys did for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. All time grades. Getting along well with Carvin. Rage says hot list are the movement numbers per player. Correct. I mean, I think it was their, it was their, oh, is this a card ladder question or is this a Beckett question? You can clarify down the road if you want. Dream says it's also interesting that sports card investor oh, I was at that dinner. I love his channel, but feels he definitely gives investment advice. He does. I, I, I don't want to cause any controversy if there's any out there, but I will say, I did listen and I was impressed when Jeff did say that they were doing the one thing and then they realized the implication it was having and they stopped doing that activity. I don't know the details of it, but I was glad to hear that Jeff and Sparks Card Investor, who are relatively new to the, you know, he started his channel not that long ago. Like he's had great, great progress with building up the channel and the brand, but I like that he is learning from his actions and, and, and kind of, you know, if something isn't working or he doesn't like the effect it's having that he's, that he's, uh, you know, kind of changing on the fly. I, I respected that, that comment uh, that I heard him say at the dinner it's late. Who's drinking just water for me. <laughs> uh, we're not going to give investment advice, advice tonight, Angie Volkakis, but uh, I saw I that. Yeah. Nice try. Nice yeah. Try. <laughs> <laughs> but do appreciate it. Um, okay, we may uh, we may start to wind down actually, but we've got yeah. Okay, Rage loves the hundred point scale. People hated the hundred point. They did hate it because there were the ten point scale alternatives, which are easy to understand. But imagine if all we had was the hundred point scale. I think we would have, you know, that it would be more challenging for the graders. They'd have to be a lot more uh, detailed when they applied that final grade. But I think it would be better. I think the hobby might be, I don't know, better or worse. I just think it would be more accurate. I'll leave it at that. More accurate. And it would be it would it would make it harder for the grade the greater companies to have a job because at that point you're grading within a a, a very a much narrower uh, grading band. So Okay, what else we got here, guys? I'm just going to see if there's anything else that was going to keep us going here. Tampa, I found it interesting in regards to the crossover grade and not being able to see it properly. That, Yeah, that does make sense. That made sense to me as well. Yeah, I mean, there's no guessing about that. Like, no. what do you mean? You guess? No, like, that's 
if a grader doesn't see, this is why um, it's important to understand the fundamentals of grading uh, and why it's important to grading companies that the accuracy and the credibility of their, of their technical assessments endures over time and is, is in full, in full effect. So if a grader feels like the thickness of the slab is preventing them from being able to make a quality assessment such that they might break the card out of the slab and discover a flaw that was not visible um, through the, the slab, uh, which is entirely plausible, take out a Beckett slab anytime you'd like and just look at it and tell me how confident you are that you can detect the possibility of any imperfection. I'm certainly not confident that I could do that. No. Uh, so I, I, I don't think there's any guessing about it. I think it's, it's incredibly important to acknowledge the transparency there from PSA's end, from Nat's end in particular, that they're not willing to take a guess or to do guesswork. If they're unable to determine the grade of a card through the slab, then they're not going to do it. I, I think that deserves commendation. I do too. I think I, I, I completely do as well. Mr. Wonderful says pop controls on highly printed cards are bogus. PSA doesn't care, which I agree with. Why do they care what the pop on a, a commodity type card is? I could see why they may on a Wayne Gretzky, Ricky or an MJ, but on a highly on, on a common card, I don't think there's any point, but then Toa makes this comment. There's too much ambiguity in grading. I know not to spell that, but when you have bulk graders like elite co three who graded thousands of cards and see changes in grading, there is some smoke, right? That's a, it's a fair comment. It makes you, I think it, it makes you wonder and it just makes you wonder. I, I'd like to pose that to, to someone from PSA, whether it's Nat or, or um, Steve Sloan or Joe Orlando and see what their response to that would be. Definitely. Yeah. Tampa was thinking of Alico and I did watch Alico three. I watched that video too. It didn't come to me. I didn't think of it during the, during the episode, but now that, that does make sense. Peter says, uh, can I speak a little more to the almost 20 criteria that PSA grades on? Yeah, sure. The one that's easiest is like surface. You know, when you talk about surface, you, you're looking for more things than just uh, scrapes and scuffs. You're looking at the registration, the print quality. You know, the other thing is that we talk about there, there's more like edges. How far in does the edge go? What part of the edge? The surface of the edge? The side of the edge? The bottom, the uh, the backside of the edge. When you're talking about corners, you know corners can be, corners can have some uh, rounding. They can have a little fiber sticking out of them. So it does come down to those. It really comes down to I believe those four main criteria. But within each of the four subgrades, there are other things that they're looking for. That I've seen their checklist. It's like 17 deep or something like that. And each of them are, are different things that the grader looks at. They're not just looking They're when I guess the best way to say it is when they're, when they're assessing the technical grade of a card, there aren't only four things in their head that there are four items on the, on the checklist that they have to go through. There's like 17, that number sticks out for some reason. So that's as best as I can do it. I don't remember that list. It was, it was years and years ago, but um, that that's, that's as, as good as I can, as I can do on that for right now. Uh, card porn says a couple of weeks ago there was a suggestion that PSA were reviewing all cards sent into them for reholders. Nat said only slabs that look damaged are reviewed for regret. Yeah, I heard that. That was dispelled quite a. That, that's been dispelled a couple times and uh, makes sense to me. Uh, let's see. 
Tampa says, Jeff, uh, speaking of Wilson from Sports Card Investor, gets so much hate from uneducated or jealous people. I found that to be honorable when he said he stopped doing that because people were getting lazy and just going off his picks. I respected that comment as well. Okay, Carvin says, I'm okay with rookie card parallels, variations, young gun exclusive, high gloss, exquisite RPAs to jersey number and jersey number gold parallels, all designed to create possible higher value than... But are they RCs, Carvin? Do you give them the RC designation? That, that, that's that's the question I want to know. Trigger finger is dying. To, uh, tip, tips on info. Best places to find info on inserts besides Dave and Adams and the Cardboard Connection site. The insert game can be stressful to people who've been always for. Okay, sorry, Trigger Finger. I did. I, I saw this question a few times and I didn't understand it because it's so long for me to read. So I apologize. Chris, do you want to respond to Trigger Finger? This will be my shortest answer of the night. Old Beckett magazines. No matter what the sport is, baseball, hockey, football, basketball, old Beckett magazines, especially from the 90s, um, assuming that you're wanting to look at 90s inserts, those magazines have very nice checklists organized in beautiful ways, and they oftentimes include a picture of at least one of the cards from the set. That's a great place to start. And you can buy them on eBay. Thank you. And thank you, Trigger. Sorry for uh, for skipping over that a couple times. Uh, here's a fun comment. Tyler says, my girlfriend said, you have to be up early and you're going to stay up late and watch two guys talk about cards. Well, so happy she went to bed. I've been waiting all day for this great show, guys. Thanks, Tyler. Say hi to your girlfriend for us. We're, we're, we're glad that, uh, that, that she didn't give you too much uh, slack, flack for being with us tonight. Oh, let's see what Rock Latex is. 100-point scale wasn't really 100-point scale. Yeah, 98s, 96s. Yeah, it was more like a 50-point scale or something like that. Fair enough. Mosaic Mine, unless machines are involved, it's impossible to eliminate subjectivity in grading. Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's the it's human. And I, we just have to, that's just, excuse me, that's just something we have to accept. There's there's human, human judgment, and, uh, and it's, it just is the way it is. Peter says, very interesting. Honestly, this has been a killer night for content, and that was fantastic. I love how engaged Chris has been for the debrief after the fact. Yeah, me too. Chris, I knew would be the best, uh, well, uh, among, if not the best uh, pairing for the show. I love him using the word pairing. We use it with wine and food, and I'm not a wine drinker, but we, we use it with like um, pairing up, uh, you know, MK, uh, um, not MK, sorry. Um, Sean, Victory Investments, put out a post today for his LeBron and his Jordan auto jersey card saying, it's a great the 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 Kobe is a great sorry the Kobe and Jordan the Kobe is a great pairing for my MJ card. I'm I'm enjoying the word pairing tonight when I'm talking about this. Josh makes a very very astute observation. <laughs> ben Carlo, props to Josh for holding for holding on for this. I long, can't believe still here. Glad to have you, Josh. Ben Carlo says, uh, Chris, the house of Jordan starts to burn down. You can. Only save one of either your Jordan collection or your Luca. Which do you save, and why is it Luca? <laughs> <laughs> no using uh, in your answer. I think that's just that's just funny. Ben, you answered it for me, bud. Uh, Tampa just makes reference to the the annual yep. Beckett magazine that comes out once a year, uh, maybe for triggers. Question there, Carvin. Why does terminology matter? I look at values to design these. I call them rookie card parallels and variations. If I have to decide to have RC logo or not, I would say RC logo it is. I'm not asking for the RC logo. I'm asking for the, for the, for the, for, the, for let me just put it simply. Would bet, should Beckett give the rookie card designation? And I use Beckett because it's 
the one that we've been looking at for years on the RC designation. Should Beckett give the RC designation to the parallels? I think that maybe that's my question. Uh, Toa, I'm speaking of Beckett Magazine. I'm trying to find a great copy of the number one to get graded. Very cool. Daniel says 126 people here. We need another hour of the show, Jeremy. That was two minutes ago. Oh, we're finally catching up in the comments. Josh says, I'm just here so I won't get fined. Maybe he means fired. I'm not sure. Fine no, he, both. No, uh, he means both. fine. He's making a reference to Marshawn Lynch press oh. conference, I believe. Oh, okay. Somebody. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, yeah, that was to trigger from Tampa. Thank you, guys. All right. Hey, we're at the bottom of the comments. First time. Chris, we're, uh, we're, we're coming up on an hour and 50 minutes. Anything else uh, that – on your notes, we didn't get to a couple other topics. Um, we don't need to, I don't think. I don't, I don't think we need to get the, the Babe Ruth uh, collectible uh, issue, unless you want to, unless you were hoping to. I just think uh, some people don't fully understand how the valuation worked in that case. Um, there was nothing wrong with the methodology of the valuation from a mathematical point of view. The idea that if 1% of the item sells for 60000 then it implies that 100% of the item is $6 million. The math adds up. The confusion was surrounding perhaps a miscommunication that the item was purchased for $6 million when in fact the, the official purchase price was private and was never disclosed and still has not been disclosed. And it has been revealed that there is no desire to disclose it by the buyer, but it also has been disclosed that the purchase price was more than 5.2 million. So there's some level of information out there, but not a ton. The, the question is um, from, from the point of view of valuation, is it responsible and accurate to make the math, the mathematically correct extrapolation that if you're able to sell 1% of an item uh, into shares that value it at 60000 does that truly imply that you could sell 100% of it uh, at the price that would obtain a market cap of $6 million? That's an open question. I tend to think that, um, and Nat referred to this in his interview as well, I tend to think that allowing, owner, allowing the owner of the card to retain 99% and fractionalizing 1% is a bit extreme. It's token. And that, it's token. Yeah. Yeah. So, and while the, the intention of fractional is good, and I think in fra fractional actually is filling in some of that grade and flip void, it's pumping, it's a new way to pump more money into the hobby ecosystem, which is good. I think fractional is doing a lot of good things. But to me, um, I think as close to 100% of a card as possible, if not 100%, should be fractionalized. Um, that's yeah. because my point of view is wanting to know the true value of these items. And I think that's the closest that we're going to get to knowing the true value. Yeah, fair comments. And I'm gonna I'm gonna build on one of your things, one one of one of the points you made, which is is one percent enough to substantiate a a, a, a six million dollar value? To me, the answer is no. Now they might sell through though that sixty thousand dollars in in five seconds. My answer is still no. The reason is is that if you think you even think about in the real world. And then this is the real world. So let me rephrase. You know, when it comes to, oh, for example, a company gets taken private, like, like Collector's Universe did. In order for that company to get taken private, and I don't know the laws in both countries, but basically, unless the buyers, the Nat Turner group, are able to acquire 66 and two-thirds percent of all the outstanding shares, only at that point are the other 30 
37, 36 percent of the shareholders obligated without choice to sell their shares. They're just going to come out of their, their their trading accounts one day, right? They have no option to keep them. It's They, they have no say. 66 and two thirds has to be sold for that company to go private for that $850 million valuation to actually be the, the number, to actually be of record. So the fact that they fractionalized 1% and then publicized a $6 million valuation to me, I cannot stand behind that. Now, I'm not saying that the math doesn't work. The math certainly works. The math works, but does it work? Does it does it work from a, I don't even know what the word is, but the, the, it just doesn't work from a, I guess, a, a smell test, a comfort level, uh, credibility is it statistical? level. Is, is it a representative sample? Yeah, is it? And it it, it, it isn't. <laughs> It, it just isn't. It's 1%. It's a drop in the bucket. Like someone <laughs> said here, much, yeah, Paul says, much ado about $60,000. It's like it is much ado because the much ado isn't about 60. It's about $5,940,000. That's what the much ado is about because that's the delta between what they actually monetized and what they are saying the value is. The much ado is about. The complement to sixty thousand, which is five million nine hundred and forty thousand dollars. So, to me, the valuation of six million, I can't accept it for myself. I, I'm not. I'm not calling collectible out. I trust. I think Ezra is. This, he's been on the show. I trust Ezra. I think he's a stand-up guy. I think he's got the best, the the good of the hobby in mind. To me, if I was on their board of directors, it, this that would not have got my vote. I would not have. I would not have signed off on that marketing. And all that. That's the first thing. The second thing comes down to the claim that the rec the record has now been set for the most expensive sports card ever sold. I mean, nobody knows except for uh, the people, the buyer, the seller, and whoever else, the lawyers that, that that wrote and whoever signed that affidavit and saw it. They're the only ones that know. I think I said it on the crossover last night. Hey guys, I ran faster than Usain Bolt. Trust me. New record holder, fastest runner in the world, right here. Now. <clears throat> I mean, no, I know, man. You're right. It might have happened. Sorry, it did happen. I'm not. I am not questioning the fact that that card traded hands for over 5.2 million dollars. But I do not. I, I just can't get behind it. I'm not comfortable with claiming a record was set without telling you what that record was and who the record holder is, or show the public the evidence. Not don't just show Ezra. Show the public the evidence. Also, the fact that you're claiming a record, you don't know. I I would I would say there's a better chance that many cart many a handful of cards have traded hands privately for more than five point two million dollars. Maybe there's been another mantle PSA nine that's traded hands. Maybe there's been a PSA ten that's traded hands. Not everybody's <laughs> out there talking. This guy doesn't want to be known. Collectible convinced him to bring it out. So I have issues with this thing all around. All that said, I'm not questioning the integrity of collectible i am not questioning the amount that i trust ezra and the collectible team i just can't get behind the the rollout of the claiming of the record or the the claiming that the card is about is valued at six million even though the math adds up you didn't you didn't monetize it you monetized a paltry one percent you said you said earlier that if you're going to fractionalize a card, you need to fractionalize like 100% of it. You know, I don't even like the 51%. To me, 
to me because I understand a little bit about the capital markets, 66 and two thirds. That's the minimum. If you get to 66 and two thirds, Jeremy Lee is willing to give you the math on the 100%, the gross up. I think that's a very reasonable take, my friend, and well thought out. That's my take on that. So you look like, are you fading, Chris? I've never been stronger. You 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 noted my night owl nature. You're right. You're, I've never been stronger. I love it. Okay, let's run through the comments. We have some more here. Tampa says, I agree, it's extreme. I see pros and cons with it. Yeah, good night to Toa, who uh, who left us a few minutes ago, about nine minutes ago. Good night to you, Toa. Thanks for joining if you are watching this later on. Let's see what, okay, I've, I haven't been reading the comments. Let's see what people uh, have, have been responding with. Mosaic Mind says, if 100% of a card is fractionalized, how would you determine majority own? Okay, you don't need majority ownership. It just goes to a vote. Michael Busby says, Chris, it is, is it bad to say I believe there's something not right about fractional sharing? I believe it's going to be to end bad. Maybe I just don't understand fractional sharing. Is it is it bad to say that you don't that you believe there's something? I, I I'll take this first, Chris, to Daniel. I don't think it's bad to say that. I think you're entitled to your opinion. Nobody knows what what the landscape of fractional is going to look like in 10 years, but I can tell you fractional ownership has existed for centuries, decades, if not centuries, as far as public companies goes, real estate goes, timeshare. If you, you ever heard of a timeshare, that's fractional ownership, right? Fractional ownership isn't new. I worked in the, in the land bank. If you've heard of land banking business, usually pre-development land, it's a rampant business. So um, it works in a lot of things. I don't see why it doesn't work. It makes a lot of sense to me. And if I could invest in fractional ownership, all these companies would have some of my money. I would not stop collecting cards. I love my cards, but I would just put other money into a piece of a Mickey Mantle, a piece of a Babe Ruth. Chris, can you, uh, you want to take it? Yeah, Daniel, uh, nothing wrong at all with feeling apprehensive about any innovation introduced to the hobby fractional or otherwise. Uh, the great philosopher, Enlightenment philosopher, Ed, this is how you know we're getting late. The great Enlightenment philosopher, Edmund Burke, uh, is famous for popularizing the point of view that before you change something, make damn sure you're improving it. And I think that's a very healthy point of view to take when innovations are being introduced to the hobby. Uh, but the flip side of that coin is some innovations are introduced that do improve it. And if the record and the evidence over a sufficient period of time suggests that the hobby has improved as a result of that innovation, then at that time we acknowledge it. I think that uh, fractional is very new and uh, there will be a learning curve. It's all brand new, uncharted territory. So we need to grow with that movement, grow with that innovation, um, and uh, certainly learn from things that, that might not have have been the best choice from the perspective of, of hindsight, which is always 2020. Um, so that's what I would say to that, Daniel. And, and I'll add to it. I think we also have to allow the good people, i.e. the good people at Collectible, to um, learn and get better and, uh, and con continuous improvement. That's, I think, what everybody strives for in life and business. We're always looking to, to be better at what we're doing. Um, I'm trying to get do better content. I added that new intro video. That's continuous improvement. You know, it's I think we all want to do that in, in our careers, in our relationships, in our in, in the hobby. We're always 
we're always kind of tweaking how we collect, you know, maybe selling off a card here, adding a new card there. So I'm willing to, to cut collectible some slack here. I, I, I'm not, I'm not against them. I, I just don't agree with the way this was rolled out, really any of it, but I'm willing to be tolerant and I'm willing to encourage them to keep on trucking, keep on doing what they're doing and, um, and just always, always strive for improvement. That that's, you know, let me, let me throw, I'm okay? oh, sorry. I just yeah. I'll finish quickly. I'll finish quickly. The whole the, the the common saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I like to say, if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. You don't, you know, you don't. You can always just improve. Go ahead, Chris. Yes, you can, and uh, it should be noted. Um, financial publications have been documenting collectible success, especially with their uh, rounds of funding that they've put together recently. And one of those articles made note of the fact publicly that Collectible has 35,000 users, or at that time they had that many, probably have even more now. I raise that point as a bit of, of as, to introduce a fact into this equation, suggestive that people like what Collectible is doing and people like the fractional space and it's probably here to stay. So yeah. the one thing I'll the one, the one caveat to that is if they, if there are, many 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 more offerings of one percent of a card it's going to be it's just going to look like a joke that's just going to yeah, be a lot. I, I, I think uh this this event will provide a great textbook example of uh, a learning experience of a one and done hopefully yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah here's a great comment from tampa he says even i think it was the second offer yeah even though it was higher than the first accepted offer not and company got a steal on the psa acquisition i think so too i mean i don't know all the, we don't know all the financial details here but it sounded cheap to me even at like you know 850 million or whatever it ended up being okay uh we're, we're, we will wrap this up sure oh well I, I then i see well, the comments were more were deeper than i thought they were uh, Daniel says everyone can own a share, but the fractional companies get to enjoy the actual card in their possession. Very yeah. true. Very fair. And I think you can probably go see a lot of these things. Mr. Wonderful, serious question. How do you guys feel about the eBay returns? If the buyer doesn't feel like the card he purchased, it won't grade a 10. I, I'm completely against it. I think that's an easy answer. Carvin says, good quote, Chris. As a product developer, it's okay to replicate other people's creations, but make it better. It's the Apple business model. Yeah, very, uh, very uh, yeah, totally, totally agree with that as well, Carve. Um, Mosaic, if fractional shares are like stocks, would you end up with the same shady situations with stocks, hostile takeover, shady price manipulations, et cetera? I don't know. That's a, that's a deep question, Mosaic, but one word worthy of discussion, but I, my brain just isn't there right now, but I do appreciate the question. Okay. Carvin, RC tag. I'm a traditionalist. I, I, I'm to give RC logos to a card set that would have a something. Tampa says, unless the seller did a horrendous job shipping the card and it was damaged. Okay, that's on the eBay thing. Overtime banner, big big unit wants the overtime banner. Good, good call. Good call. There it is. Overtime. Thank you for that. Here we go. Mosaic 50 plus one share gives majority the price of any card. Just got cut in half in essence. I don't know if I can dive into that. I don't know if the price gets cut in half in essence. Mr. Wonderful agrees. I'm facing that dilemma right now, even after I stated no returns on my ad. Carbon pop of one, gold parallels to jersey number one, but I would tag it as RC. Yeah, I would too. I, I think a parallel can have the RC designation. That's my thought. 
Late one for Jeremy. It is a late one, Mickey. It is a late one. <laughs> Kampa likes it. Overtime. Yeah, we were on Sports Cars Live after hours. Over. It's supposed to come on after the one-hour mark. Overtime, if, you, if anyone who's, who's new to the channel, um, Sports Cars Live used to be Wednesdays and Saturdays. That started from April till about December of last year. And then I couldn't, I just couldn't keep it up twice a week. Uh, and then it, but it ended up being twice a week because um, after hours started in September because a lot of the viewers were, they were, they were like, Hey, keep going. Let's go for hour three. And I thought, well, I can't do another third hour with the same guest. No one's going to watch these videos in syndication later on. It's three hours. So we started the new show after hours. It was meant to be the third hour, which I know on crossover, you guys have the second hour after hours was meant to be the third hour. And after we went past that first hour, it was meant to be into overtime. And I just forgot to put it up there, but there you go. The dream you check F1 cards at. I I'm taping the F1 this week, and I can't. That's my Sunday is watching F1. I love it. It's it's a brand new thing for me. I bought two cards. I'm gonna enjoy the sport and maybe getting some cards later. <laughs> ah, thank you, Cranfy. Nice Timu jerseys. Greeting from Finland. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah. Um, actually, you'll like this Cranfy. The the Anaheim is a Timu jersey. The Jets. That's a Timu. That's uh, sorry, a Tepo Newman game worn jersey. That's Tepo Newman, who you will well know about. Good night, Logan. The dream, my first <laughs> overtime for after hours. I'm glad you made it this long. Uh, Rock Latex, does card ladder have difficulties with value of BGS graded cards, i.e. subgrades with true grades? Is that uh, something? Huge, huge difficulties uh, for the obvious reasons that there's price fluctuations depending upon subgrades because collectors are incredibly discerning. So yeah, it's a huge problem and it's probably an intractable problem unless either sellers develop the convention to specify all four subgrades in their listings, which they often don't, or we assign somebody to uh, zoom in on every single BGS and write down the subgrades and then partition them into different brackets. And I, I don't think uh, that's going to happen anytime soon. So for now, we're, any, any uh, BGS chart needs to be treated uh, from the point of view that there's going to be variance based on subgrades. Yeah, I think you just need to go look. You just need to dive in there, right? Just dive in and 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 because you have you have the historical sales there, so take That's a look. Right. I like this. Carlos says uh, two hours. Glad to catch the warm up. When does the mainstream start? Well, Carlos, <laughs> this is our we're into hour five for me right now. I did two with uh, Nat Turner. We're over two now with uh, with Chris. So this is hour actually five. hour five. I'm giving you a run for your money, Carlos. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wind up, Chris. I'm gonna go to the bottom. The comments there aren't that many, and then we're gonna wind this up. Jeremy Pringle, good evening. Says I go I go by base rookie card parallels count, but inserts are okay. Just rookie or inserts, I agree with that. Carbon says go to Clubhouse now. I think I just checked. There's no uh, card room. Oh, there's one small card room on Clubhouse right now. It looks like uh, Dream. I ripped it back. Got the max for stop an orange wave refractor. That's really cool. That's a great card. Does it have damage on the back though, Dream? Does it have damage on the back? Carbon says, based on Apple business model, I'm going to work on card scraper. <laughs> <laughs> Tampa says, why don't you try to have eBay implement in the listing? I don't know what that's about, but uh, Jahan says, uh, great interview. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh, as a requirement, why don't you have eBay implemented? Oh, you can't because... I, what, what he's saying is, why do you have eBay implemented in the listing as a requirement? You don't have any any jurisdiction over eBay, if I'm understanding Tampa's question correctly. 
Yeah. I like this there, Chris. That's for both of us. Chrome power domes. To the, power to the chrome domes. <laughs> Only two hours to go, uh, Carlos. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, what if you have a ton of cards? How do you decide which one to get graded? You know, yeah. You got to just make up. You just got to figure it out. Yeah, it's tough to send them in. Uh, Abdul, you guys are awesome. Ka Carvin, thanks for clarifying on the rookie card. Jeremy, congrats on show 100. What a journey. We appreciate all your dedicated work. Thank you for your thank you and your family for all you do. Thank you. That's really nice of you, uh, uh, Abdul, or your partner. Have you and seen some of the prices that Currency Projects custom? I mean, oh my God, man, those that's incredible. That last one with like, was it Jordan and Patrick Ewing did over $900? I was the high bidder at like 55 bucks for a while. I think I even did 200 on it actually. Very impressive. Congratulations was, to those guys. Was, yeah, they're doing some beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, people don't like cards because they're a good investment. They're good investments because people like cards. That's from the crossover. The Dream says uh, Starstock now accepts hockey, and they opened up more as well. Like, if, yeah, they did, which is really cool. Looks clean on the back. Okay, good for you, because there are some of those numbered parallels in Tops F1 had issues on the back on the edge, towards the edge. So that's where you want to maybe look, but I, I hope you're fine. But uh, just be careful with that. And Yeah, because the orange waves are numbered. Tampa picked up the 95 gold. Timu Refra I love See, Chris, Timu Solani is my favorite athlete of all time i just gotta so when anyone brings up timu we got to talk about with the refractor with the coding salon i'm glad you thought of me that's awesome that's awesome card porn hats off for chris to chris for doing countless hours of data entry to make real comps possible he might have long answers but that's because he doesn't speak to people <laughs> during the day so he needs to catch up Nailed it. Good. That's good. I'm going to use that. That's my excuse from now on. Thank there you. There you go. Well said. Card porn. We got another bald Facebook user right there. Mosaic says, I'm not against fractional. I'm just being an ornery devil's advocate. Hey, we're having a conversation. Not, Don't mind it at all. Colin Murray says, more Americans need to start enjoying hockey cards. Too many industry guys have two to three cards. Vintage baby. I know. I'm with you. I'm with you, Colin. I'm with you. And name. Good evening, name. I hadn't even realized you were at episode 100. Congrats, Jeremy. Hello, Chris. Josh. All right, Jeremy, boot this dude. He's slacking on his card ladder work. There you go. Oh, no, I'm the one getting fined or fired. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the last comment. So, yeah, we're going to wrap it up, guys. Um, so, again, thank you, Chris, for joining me on on uh, sort of last minute. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with tonight's after hours until, like, late last night. So, thank you for uh, coming on on short notice. I appreciate it. Appreciate My all pleasure, your insights. Buddy. Appreciate all your, your well-thought-out uh, responses. Thank you to the chat on fire tonight on both episodes. Uh, appreciate all you guys. Thank you, Mosaic Mind. Appreciate that. Appreciate the comment. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, thank you, Foul Fiveball. Thank you, Mike Wick. Thank you, The Dream. Hockey Rise is coming. Disney just bought back the Mighty Ducks in time for ABC. Thank you, ZS420 Cam. Wow. Okay. Thank you, uh, Big Unit. I want to thank you guys. Have a good night, Tampa. You were really active. Really enjoyed your uh, your participation this evening, along with you, Trigger Finger, and everybody. I don't want to leave anybody out. We appreciate all you guys tonight. Thank you for subscribing. If you're a new viewer to this channel tonight, I do appreciate that. Thanks, Chris, for attracting people to Sports Cards Live tonight. Another thank you to Nat from earlier. Back next week for Ladies Night on Sports Cards Live, everybody. Thank you, Dream. Much appreciate your your participation this evening, guys. Give the subscribe. If you want to follow me, we've had Chris streaming along the bottom now. If you want to follow me on my socials, everybody, there they are.
Instagram, Twitter. We got a Facebook group for the show where I where where the you know post a few things about upcoming stuff. So feel free to join if you don't if it'll ask you for a referral, just say my name. Say my name, say my name, just say my <laughs> name. <laughs> I've never sang on, on live streams before, Chris. You you should get a uh, Victory Investments to do uh, a closing theme song, this Destiny's Child remix right there. Right. There you go. You're right. We'll play that on the exit. We'll play it on the exit one more time. We still have over 100 people in here. Thank you, Rage. Mr. Wow. Wonderful. Luca's going home. He might right, be right. Guys. I'm gonna. We're gonna sign out with uh, one more play of the new Sports Cars Live theme song and intro. And well, no, it's not. Can't be the outro because it says. And now here's your host. But we'll play it anyway. We'll play it anyway. It's the first night that we're debuting this video. So, thanks everybody for joining. Look, have a great week ahead. Enjoy your Sunday, guys. And uh, Chris, hang tight for two seconds. Everybody else, hope to see you back here next week. Two more comments. Ben says, Jeremy, please sing on a few more future live streams. And Trigger says, I must be tired if I'm singing to us. You're right. You're right, guys. Okay. Please, no more comments. I want to watch those going to come in. Here goes the video. Good night, everybody. Thanks again. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards, and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building, and every guess that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live, and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards, and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.